I'm Kevin Hageman. And I'm Dan Hageman. And we are executive producers of Star Trek Prodigy. And you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that The Rock tried to silence. I'm your host Craig and we are here to discuss the news, trailers, etc. from the month of March in the year 2023. We do this every month, so you probably get the idea by now if you're a regular listener. Joining me this month is my you know, news terminology correspondent, Angus. Hello. Hello. A very good evening to you. Are you ready for more news? I cannot wait. Give me some news. We will very slowly go through the news of the month over the course of the next little while. But before we do that, traditionally, we talk about what we've been consuming. So what's been in front of your eyes and ears over the past while? What have you been watching? I have been watching all of You, season four on Netflix, which is insane and melodramatic and ridiculous, but it knows it is and it does it perfectly. It knows exactly what it's doing. And this season is as daft and as crazy as the rest of them. We've watched the three previous seasons. I think this is supposed to be the very end of it. And I don't know if I agree with the way things turned out, but as it unfolded, it ticked all those boxes of everything I just mentioned, all the melodrama, all the ridiculous characters. So that was interesting. I take it you've never seen any of you? Nope, not a single second of it. (laughs) <laughs> is it a show that knew it was ending, or is it one of those Netflix just deciding, yeah, we're pulling the plug on this now, we've just decided? I'm not sure. I think there's only so much they could wring out of it, and they really built up season four as this kind of big event. I think the rest of the seasons all dropped in one go, and you could just binge the whole thing. This one was dropped in two parts. It was okay. 10 or 13 episodes, maybe, something like that, but it was kind of meted out to you just to keep you salivating and waiting for the second half of the season. There were trailers and all of that sort of stuff was kind of trying to build the tension of this is the final season, you're going to have to wait for for the second part to drop and give you a bit of time to actually digest what you've been watching rather than you just sit in front of the tv for a whole day and then wonder what you've just watched yeah i think so but we just did that with every previous season over a couple of days just blitz it <laughs> and i can't really remember it all just blends into one now because it all happened so quickly content soup as some people call it yes exactly fair enough glad you enjoyed that and even if it didn't entirely meet with your approval for the conclusion but sometimes it's not about the ending it's about the journey to get to the ending yeah it's difficult because the main character is decidedly not a nice guy he's a bit of a dexter he deals with other not nice people as well so you kind of don't want things to turn out well for him in the end and i'm not going to say that they do or they don't but whatever the ending is it's really difficult to have a kind of consensus on what should happen to a character like that i think because some people will think well he's done all this horrible stuff he should have a horrible end or he should win because he's taken out all these other people divisive was it the evan peters jeffrey dahmer effect where people like yeah but he's attractive i don't care that he's a horrible person Oh, definitely. And everyone in it, it's so glossy and so pulpy. It just definitely glosses over all of this horrible, horrible behaviour. I don't know if there are that many redeeming characteristics of any of the characters, really. (laughs) But because it is so pulpy and because it's so consumable and so bingeable, I think its audience just loves all that kind of stuff. Yeah, fair enough. Seems to be a weird trend of people falling in love with attractive serial killers. (laughs) I don't know if the main character in you is a serial killer, but you know what I mean? These horrible people played by attractive actors to trick you into that. Yeah, but they're hot. So <laughs> exactly. They're good looking, so they should get away with it. <laughs> I remember that with Passengers, the Jennifer Lawrence, Chris Pratt film, where he's a creep because he flicks her out of stasis just to suit himself. And mm. 
It's fine because he's Chris Pratt. He's good looking. She could do worse. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit concerned about those sorts of things, which may factor into a couple of our trailers. Hmm? Anything else? Yes, also on Netflix. Basically, Netflix just kind of spoon feeds you this stuff. It has these banner content adverts at the top, and we just kind of fall into this trap of watching whatever it's telling us to watch. The rest of my list is basically all reality TV. Oh, God. Love is Blind, season four. This is another one of these bingeable things. I'm sure you talked about Love is Blind season three, maybe yeah. the last time you were on. And it kind of contradicts what we've just been saying. I think in drama, attractive people can get away with these things. And then in reality TV, even though everyone is ridiculously attractive, well, most of them are, they're all horrible people. <laughs> and you have no sympathy for them whatsoever. They think the world should just conform to the way that they want it to because they're good looking, or they think they're good looking. Yeah, and now Netflix has started cannibalizing its own reality dating shows and combining them into another one i haven't seen whatever the one is that brings all the failed people from previous shows together into one horrible mashup of reality badness and i think that is probably a step too far for us but love is blind is just another addictive watch where again they kind of meet it out several episodes get dropped at a time and it's perfectly structured to have a cliffhanger at the end of each one as is the way nowadays and you end up at one or two o'clock in the morning thinking how did we just watch five episodes of that? <laughs> We're a few steps away from throwing them all in an island and declaring the Hunger Games. That's where all this is going, isn't it? I can imagine Netflix is planning that right now, yeah. <laughs> That's almost what the mashup one looks like. They are on an island somewhere. <laughs> it's not quite Hunger Games, but give them time and they'll get there. What we're going to do is we're going to make them think they're going there for a reality show, and then a weekend we'll drop in some weapons and tell them that if they want off the island, they have to kill everyone else to survive. <laughs> And win a date. Sure, why not? The rest of our watching more reality, I won't go on too long about these, but yes, a lot of RuPaul, RuPaul's Drag Race Season 15 and The Apprentice UK has just wrapped up as well. RuPaul, I think, has more redeeming qualities. The Apprentice just feels as if it gets worse and worse in quality every year. We're still watching and it's still as addictive. <laughs> people who end up in the final of it, you think, how can these be taken seriously as business people? And yet they're going to win a £250,000 investment from Alan Sugar. That's just the way of the world. You never really hear about the products that these winners come out with, do you? It no. seems like they just always fail. Yeah. I'm reminded of that Simpsons episode where Homer decides to become an inventor and Marge says to him, no one would ever buy these or accept them as gifts. <laughs> Yeah, so I wonder if it is just a kind of black hole that Alan Sugar just launches his money into every year. Yeah, he gives away 250k, but the show makes him like a million. Yeah, it works out in his favour. It's got to be some elaborate money laundering scheme. It's the only explanation. Indeed. You need to get more fiction in your diet, I think. Although I suppose know, reality yeah. TV is fiction, isn't it? Well, yeah, there's an argument for that. But yeah, I feel very reality heavy this time. I don't know if I've ever been quite as reality heavy as this. <laughs> It's when you say you've been watching Big Brother or whatever, that's when we stage an intervention. <laughs> yeah, break class in case of that. Anything else you want to remark on or will we move on to my list of stuff? Yeah, you go for it. The TV space, the Winchesters, that's finished now, probably forever. There's no sign of it getting renewed and I don't think it will. The finale I thought was okay. It did some things that surprised me. Not all of them for the better, but it explains why it's a prequel that doesn't match up with the canon of its parent show. That's all I'll say. I don't want to spoil it for anybody listening that hasn't seen the show. It was largely fine as a show. If it doesn't come back, I wouldn't be shedding any tears, to be honest. I think it was all right. As a Supernatural fan, I thought it was fine. It didn't sully the good name of its parent show for me, but it also didn't make me burst to want to continue on in that universe. I think there's a lot of content out there that we're watching that is fine which I think is a bigger sin than things being bad sometimes. 
Because mm. at least when it's bad, you've got something really interesting to dig into. Sometimes things can fail in interesting ways, but if it's, yeah, this is okay. It just coasts on blandly, which I find less interesting. Yes, and I suppose cinema and TV might be going the same way. Oh yeah, definitely. We'll definitely talk about that. Another show that bucks that trend, Superman and Lois, is on season three, and it started off really well. Season three is so far, with two episodes that I've seen, really great. They've really jumped into something interesting with the characters. The recasting of the brother, I think you were on the news podcast when talked about the fact that the original one of the twins was leaving the show. The recasting's pretty seamless. They just haven't addressed it at all. They're just acting as if this guy's always been here, which is fine. It's not like it's a sitcom where they can point at it and say, ha, you've changed your hair or whatever, and then that's how they address it. And this, it's just, he's there. And he seems to fit in well with the cast. It's an adjustment for me because I'm so used to the other guy, but at the same time, I'm not taken out of the show. He seems to fit in quite naturally. So I imagine by the middle of the season, I'll forget the other guy was ever there. <laughs> Which isn't a slight on him. It's just how they've managed to integrate this new guy into the show. And you might end up preferring the new one, which quite often happens. That could happen too. Yeah, I don't know. I'll maybe just try not to think about it because it's not fair in the <laughs> first guy. <laughs> but no, really good season. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it proceeds. I'm still watching Star Trek Picard, which for me is closer to the end of the season than it is for some other people. I've seen up to the end of episode eight, thanks to screeners, and it's not very good. Bit of a slog most of the time. There's good things in there, but for the most part, I'm just really looking forward to seeing the end of this, getting it out of the way. Is the good stuff pure fan service, or is there anything else redeeming about it? Actually, the fan service is the worst part, because <laughs> it, it's just so obnoxious with it. The thing is, there's some good fan service in it, but it's mixed in with so much bad fan service and just an onslaught of fan service that I'm just sitting there thinking, you can go five minutes without reminding me that I used to watch The Next Generation. You can do that. You can do something of your own. I don't like this supposition that some of the Star Trek writers and showrunners seem to have that I like Star Trek because it reminds me of things that were in Star Trek. Yeah, but as with what we were talking about previously, I think a lot of media is going that way. You've got the rights to the IP. Milk it. And plus it's being made by fans now in a lot of cases, which can be worse because they just throw fan service in because they feel like they like it so everyone else will like it. But nah, I want actual proper Star Trek again. Yes, original concepts and content. Something thought-provoking, something that has something to say about the world we live in. All that good stuff. Give me Star Trek as it was conceived. Sci-fi commentary on the world that it's made in. Well, it's not all I want, but it's a lot of what I want. For my sins, I started watching Gotham Knights, which is a show that will definitely not make its way out of its first season. But I was curious to watch it. It's basically a bunch of attractive teenagers who are related to various Batman characters. You have the Joker's daughter, you have Bruce Wayne's adopted son. You've got Robin, but a Robin that's never, as far as I'm aware, appeared in the comics and so on. They're basically accused of murdering Bruce Wayne because all Batman content is post-Batman content, at least on TV, and it's not very good. But it's kind of hilariously bad. It's one of those shows where I feel compelled to watch it because I want to see what stupid stuff they get up to next. And do the characters who are related to familiar characters have anything original about them or are they really just a kind of stand-in for their relation? So far they haven't really done much in terms of characterization, but yeah, they do introduce them as whoever they're related to. And it does one of those things that CW shows sometimes do where it just points you in the direction of how progressive they're being. They're being interrogated in police interrogation room and one of the characters mentions that she's bisexual within 10 seconds of appearing. And then the next person says something about, don't use my dead name. It's just a really clumsy, look at this, we've got representation here. 
Yeah, it's all here, Luke. Yeah, and then they move on to something else equally uninteresting. <laughs> I do feel compelled to keep going with it just because of how ridiculous it is. <laughs> it does have possibly the best Batcave we've had, <laughs> which surprised the hell out of me. <laughs> well, congratulations to whoever was responsible for that. Yeah, but what happens in the spoilers for the second episode, or it might be the first episode, the police find the Batcave and they decide, oh yeah, empty it, bag and tag everything. Well, we won't be seeing that again. That was an expensive shot you created for one or two episodes. <laughs> Tear it all down. Yep. We'll never see that again. They'll go back later in the season, it'll just be ransacked, and then they'll turn it into your typical CW base. Just a room with some stuff in it. <laughs> never to see its former glory again. Yeah. I'm still watching The Flash. It's final season, thank God. It is terrible. They are doing their final season as they did their previous seasons, as in badly. But it's even worse because it's the final season. So like they're not even trying anymore. You know how some shows, when they're on their final season, they do a, we're going to make this a huge celebration of this thing we create. We're going to have a lot of fun for our final season. Whereas the Flash writers seem to be treating it like the last day of school. As in, we're here, but we don't really need to do anything. <laughs> there seems to be a trend of that as well, where you think you can go out with a bang, but no, we'll have a Rise of Skywalker type situation. <laughs> we're not even trying. It's fine. We're just running out of the clock. Or Game of Thrones, the same sort of thing happened there, didn't it? Well, I never saw that, but I was told by many people, yeah. I've also been watching How I Met Your Father, and I can't explain why I continue to watch this. It's a 20-minute thing. It's easy enough to slot in while I'm doing something else or something. I don't know. I have no excuse. It's terrible. <laughs> It's about season and a half in, and I haven't laughed once across either season. I don't think I've found a single joke funny, which is weird because I found How I Met Your Mother so funny. But it's missing a lot of the wackiness that How I Met Your Mother did really well. It doesn't have your Barney-type character, who's just so off the wall that you can't believe what you're seeing sometimes. It's a basic 90s sitcom, but it's somehow being made now. You're watching so many things that you're not enjoying. I know! It's very strange. At least the reality TV that I've been watching, which is possibly as ridiculous, if not more, than a lot of these things, it's kind of chemically engineered to make me addicted to it <laughs> is there anything addictive about these things are they leaving cliffhangers where you feel like you need to continue on or is it just you've got a completionist attitude to things well with the flash i've been there since the beginning so i need to be there at the end it's just a compulsion <laughs> picard star trek i watch all of star trek yeah gotham knights i've got a weird compulsion superman and lois is really good though i'm really enjoying it the winchesters it was never bad so i didn't want to drop it how i met your father i can't explain it's just something I stick on for 20 minutes once a week. Just can't explain why I sit and watch it. Remind me, did you collect all the feathers in Assassin's Creed 2? No. See, I don't understand that. <laughs> no, I'm not a video game completionist. Screw that. <laughs> I'm just weird with my viewing habits. I know I could be putting my time more productively in other things, but whatever. We'll see how my viewing habits change when things like The Flash finish. I'm going to bet they don't change. Well, they'll have to because I won't have to watch The Flash anymore. <laughs> that will be a change in itself. Well, that will be a change but there might be some other things that you're not enjoying that you will continue to watch. Maybe. We'll find out. Stay tuned for every news podcast where I continue to torture myself with content that I'm not enjoying. Yeah, watch this space. Let's jump over to movies. I've seen a few movies recently, some of which I actually enjoyed. Most recently, I watched John Wick Chapter 4, and I thought it was fine. I enjoyed the action, but I felt the two and a half hour, it's an excess of two and a half hours, it's nearly three hours runtime. It's a lot like a video game, actually, because John Wick wanders into a level, a bunch of guys appear and he has to fight his way through them. And sometimes he's fighting his way through dozens of guys just on his own. And that's the nature of it. He's the best around. But the other people he's fighting are supposed to be master assassins as well. Maybe not 
quite on his level. And he does get shot and beaten up a lot and stuff like that. But he's invincible. It's insane. But there's some really good stuff in it. There's a sequence that's from top down. He's just basically wandering through a building, just shotgunning people. But you see it from the top down, so you track his progression. It's done in a one It's really good. Some original GTA vibes. Yeah. And there's no arguing with the artistry on display in the John Wick movies. The reason the first John Wick movie became so popular, despite coming out of practically nowhere, was that it was a competently made action film in an era where there weren't a lot of those. Mm. I feel like the John Wick franchise, as it now is, or soon will be, has ballooned to the point where it's lost sight of that a bit, because it was, here's a really good action movie, and here's a sequel to a really good action movie, and then now we're getting a prequel series, and then Anna de Armas starring spin-off, and God knows what else. How long until we're just really sick of the world that John Wick inhabits. <laughs> I think I've only seen the first one. The rest have kind of passed me by. But is there anything that really differentiates them from the original? Or is it just kind of more of the same each time? They get bigger each time. The first one has a beautiful simplicity to it, I think. The idea that he just goes on this revenge mission because someone kills his dog. Mm-hmm. And that necessitates a really high body count. I think that's just really simple. And then they give you flavours of the world. It's like, here's the gold coins, here's the secret society of assassins, whatever. And then you get to John Wick 3 and literally everybody in New York seems to be an assassin. And then it's the same here, but everybody in every city he goes to seems to be an assassin. I'm just thinking, is there any normal people here? The assassin homeworld. There's a scene in the fourth one where the hotel, the assassin hotel, where they go and patch themselves up or get business or whatever, is blown up. And then there's no suggestion that the public are in any way nervous about it. But I'm just thinking, is there a public in this movie or is just everybody an assassin? If so, who are they killing? Each other? <laughs> but yeah I like the smaller scale of the first one in that it felt like John Wick was a part of this weird world that exists underneath our own but it's just so public now Mm. there's an extended sequence fighting in front of the Arc de Triomphe and there's supposedly people just driving around just watching people getting gunned down and getting thrown into their cars and things like that and I'm just thinking is no one bothered by this? but watch it for the action sequences I would suggest watching it in Maybe smaller chunks, actually. Do a few levels at a time. Save your game and then come back. (laughs) Okay, noted. I also don't recommend watching four John Wick movies within the space of a week. So it's not one for like a movie marathon then? No, because I watched all three of them the preceding three days before I saw it. Mm. One each night. And then I went to see the fourth one. By the time I saw the fourth one, I felt a bit exhausted with John Wick. Especially the third one being your last memory of it, because it can be quite exhausting. Right. Maybe watch them a month apart or something like that. Okay. Give yourself a week or so between them just to cleanse your palate a little bit. Okay. But it's fine. I mean, it's got great action in it. Some of the best around. It's worth it just for that. I saw Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which I thought was really good. It's made no money. I think I'm actually a significant percentage of its box office, but I thought it was really good. It's really weird because it answered a need that I didn't know that I had when it came to superhero films. It's fun. It's relatively low impact. It's not super connected to other stuff, although there are connections in it, but they're not really that important. It has tangible sets. It looks like there's some practical effects work in there. There's some really creative design work, creative set pieces. It's bright. It's colourful. Stuff happens during the day sometimes. All the stuff that you can say other superhero films aren't quite doing. And I just came out of it thinking, you know, that was a lot of fun. That was really refreshing. I needed that. Especially after Quantumania, which you can listen to me and Aaron complain about for longer than the running time of the film. It was a slog. It was not a good film as far as I was concerned. But Shazam, I thought, was really good. And I think it's a shame that it's not doing as well as it. I feel it should be. But I guess when you're James Gunn and you're essentially telling people, see, these three films we're releasing this year, they don't matter because my stuff is starting at some point. 
So people might think, I'm not going to go watch this, because why should I? Yeah, it's an interesting strategy. Although I would argue, go and see something, because it might just be good by itself. That can happen, even if it's not going to set you up for the next 10 things that you're going to watch. Yeah, I wonder if people are less likely to take a chance with a superhero movie or something that they feel is part of a franchise that it feels like you're taking less of a chance if you've got the baggage of what's come before as well you're less likely to hope for the best and you're more likely to expect the worst yeah another one that i saw that answered a similar need that i didn't really know i had was dungeons and dragons there was a city world unlimited screening mm. that was a secret one that turned out to be that and that was the day after it premiered at south by southwest that was a really good get for city world mm. To get a previous screening of that, and everybody seemed happy with the fact that it was that rather than something else. It could have been Shazam, which was out a week later. That was a possibility. Aaron, who is our resident D&D expert, he really enjoyed it as well. So it has that stamp of approval. And again, it's a fun action film with a really engaging cast with lots of chemistry. They do stuff on practical sets. There's some effects work that isn't entirely CGI. The story works for the parameters of what they've set up. It was a good, fun, well-put-together fantasy action movie. That's good. Encouraging. And I'm a fan of d and I'm looking forward to it. Aaron is going to run a podcast about it because it's his thing, so see if he can get you in. Tell me that he's got some kind of interesting mechanics involved. Well, I have suggested that he should form his agenda as if he's a dungeon master and create characters for whoever is on it so hopefully arrange around your schedule to get you involved in that oh, i could roll to see which agenda point we go to next <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that yeah so we'll see how that goes i'm looting the any other business chest <laughs> Maybe you should throw some of those ideas his way, in case he hasn't thought of them. I'm sure he would be an amazing DM. Yeah, I'm sure he would be. That's why I'm letting him do it, rather than me do it, because I don't know anything about Dungeons & Dragons, other than the two films that I've seen. And, of course, cultural osmosis. Mm -hmm. But yeah, watch it. It's really good. I got a screener for Tetris, the Apple TV Plus movie, and I quite liked it, but I thought it was also not as fun as it could have been. It starts off being this really slick, almost the social network-esque rundown of how this came to be. And then in the second half, it sort of loses sight of that. It's a film of two halves, really, and the first half is better than the second half. It's still pretty good, though. And it's a really interesting story surrounding Tetris, although there's the gamer historian YouTube channel that outlines the facts, so you can get it from there. But they do this thing where the Taran Egerton character, they use really simple narrative trickery to make you root for him to get the rights to Tetris over the other people who are obviously scumbags, according to the way the film presents them. I can sort of see the formula they're following as I was watching it. I was like, ah, I don't think you've quite gotten away with that, with your slick presentation. But nice try. Tetris the movie. So would you say that the first half is a bit like you're kind of setting it all up you've got that perfect gap waiting for the second half to just drop into, you need that long thin one by four and it just never comes. Yeah, or you accidentally slam a brick that doesn't fit properly and ruin your streak. (laughs) That could be it. Another movie I saw was an animated DC one, Batman the Doom that came to Gotham. It's a Lovecraftian 1920s set Batman story, and it's pretty fun. Not the best animated DC movie that they've done, but it's pretty fun. Sounds interesting, and I suppose it continues our glut, our overload of Batman that always seems to appear on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, but at least the DC animated stuff are branching out slightly. They are covering more obscure characters on the whole. They did the Legion of Superheroes, for example. Even though the front and centre of that film was Supergirl, it still featured a lot of characters that you might not know about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The DC animated movies certainly are doing some interesting stuff. Whether it pays off or not is neither here nor there, I suppose, but they are 
at least trying. Do they tie into anything like a bigger universe, or are they free to be able to just do their own thing? The Doom that came to Gotham is an Elseworlds story, so it's in its own little bubble. It's based on a three-issue graphic novel by Mike McNoll, the writer of Hellboy, actually. So that's in its own pocket thing, but they've got a shared continuity series that's running. The Legion of Superheroes that I referred to before is part of it. You get the story of whatever the film is, and then there's a post credit scene that essentially sets up the connectedness of it. It will pay off, I think, later this year, actually. I wonder if the unconnectedness is a recipe for success, kind of bucking that trend of cinematic universes and everything having to tie into everything else. If you're able to just tell these stories that are Elseworld or their completely different setting. I would be interested in that, but I don't know if it would ever come to fruition in a live-action cinematic context. I think the truth of it is somewhere in between, really. Like early Marvel, where you had the films that you could watch or not watch, and then you could watch the Avengers and still be able to follow it, even if you've not seen everything preceding it. Mm -hmm. I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is in danger of collapsing in on itself because they just have so much in there now, and they have lost some of their bigger-ticket characters as well. It doesn't need to be a problem, but I feel like they're making it a problem just by not really delivering their best work with their new characters. Yeah, and I wonder how much of the audience is falling into that cohort like me that's endgame was a real kind of culmination of so much and so much that we invested and I've just found it so hard to trip over into the next phase and to invest in that. And then you're like, I don't have time to watch 120 TV shows in a year. Sorry, Kevin Feige. Definitely not. I've got so much reality TV to watch. Well, yeah, I mean, Netflix is spooning something to me right now <laughs> and the last thing is a thing we both saw scream set we saw yeah. it on a double bill with five and it was all right yeah i was glad that we saw five and six because i'd only seen five once before and they are very closely related there was a lot i liked about six and i'm kind of back and forth on it i was thinking about rankings and about where it falls in the grand scheme and it's so difficult because i'm quite invested in the whole story it's tough because i like them all for different reasons i feel like six would fall somewhere to the bottom of my rankings which is difficult because it's modern and it has a lot of interesting things to say but i just feel in comparison to five five i felt was far tighter and had a more interesting meta aspect to it six was a bit looser i felt still enjoyable but it's interesting to think about it as further down the list when i think that's a pretty strong list well there's only six films and something needs to be at the bottom true it's when you think about that in rankings like oh that one's at the bottom well yeah because one of them has to be yeah and the increments might be really tiny they're all about the same but this is just how i've ranked them it's true and it might be recency bias but i was thinking about it and i think i have five quite high and maybe that reflects badly on six because they're so closely related that i liked so much of what five did and then for the follow-up to be relatively disappointing not disappointing in any massive way but just in comparison i think it suffers i haven't actually thought too much about it since i saw it to be honest it's one of those experiences that just seem to wash over me i haven't sat and really thought about it if i had time i might have gone to see it again just to see if i did enjoy what they did but there's some weird stuff in it as well like where they throw in that line of dialogue to loosely explain why neve campbell isn't there mm-hmm. it's a bit icky that you've acknowledged her when we all know what we don't all know but some of the viewers know what happened there yeah consuming other people's reviews and other people's rankings and podcasts related to it made me reassess my own thoughts a lot of people assume that three is the worst 
just because it gets a bit kind of comedic and made me think about it again and there's quite a lot of good stuff in three so while i was doing my own personal rankings which i can't actually rattle off right now and shouldn't because this podcast isn't just about scream (laughs) but i wouldn't automatically place that one there just because the consensus seems to be oh well everyone knows three's the worst i don't know if it is yeah i don't know either i haven't really thought about it the neve campbell reference was actually something similar to what they did in creed 3 with the lack of rocky there's a throwaway line that explains why he's not about, but it's not good enough to explain why he's not about. Mm. The events of the film would suggest that he might show up for at least a pearl of wisdom or two. Creed 3 was really good. I can't remember if I talked about it in the last news podcast or not. I can't remember if I'd seen it at that point, but it was really good. Jonathan Majors is in it, which is a bit of a dodgy topic at the moment, but he was still really good. Regardless of what he may or may not have done, we don't know. He's still really good. And he was a really scary villain, scarier than he was in quantumania it had this kind of behind the eyes unhinged quality to him that i found quite unsettling as i was watching it although creed 3 was the worst audience cinema experience i've had in a long time people whooping and cheering and all that stuff it was brutal i think people thought they were at a boxing match okay let's move on to some plugs do you have anything that you want the listeners to go and find you at outside of this not me but i've got a couple of podcasts that i have been listening to that i would plug these aren't plugging for myself you're not on them I'm not on them. I just enjoy listening to them. One of them is related to Love is Blind, the reality show. It is called Reality Alert. And it's quite fun. These two guys cover a lot of reality shows. So I only listen to the ones that relate to shows that I've seen. But I find it pretty funny and it's pretty irreverent reviews. They don't take anything very seriously. They're fans of reality TV, but they do not revere it in any way. So it's all up for ridicule. And another podcast, I might have mentioned it a couple of times when I've been on this one, is We Hate Movies, which is another movie podcast. Maybe shouldn't be plugging other people's movie podcasts. No, no, that's fine. While I was watching Scream 6 with you, I noticed they had a couple of very quick references to that podcast. There are posters in a couple of the apartments, promotional posters for the We Hate Movies podcast, which is based in New York. And that's maybe why a bit of reference to that. I didn't realise they were big enough to be featured in a movie, or maybe it was just someone dressing the set was into it. Yeah, I was just going to ask, are they run by a company of some sort, or is it just like this? It's some people that just decide to do a podcast, except they're successful. They're on HeadGum, if you know that network. But yeah, I like listening to them. They're funny guys and they addressed it. They do a bit of a news roundup as well and they address the fact that their podcast posters appear in Scream 6, which I just thought was quite a cool thing. And if you don't know the podcast at all, then it would just be something that you see pass by and not even notice. But yeah, it was quite a cool little nod that I noticed in Scream 6. I wonder what film Neil Before Pod will make its debut in. (laughs) Keep your eyes peeled. In the background of DC movies or Marvel movies. (laughs) We hope. What would you do if the season finale of The Flash, the absolute series finale, had some Neil Before Pod (laughs) reference and it turned out that they'd been listening to you this whole time? I would be honoured. I also feel like I deserved it after nine years of their crap. (laughs) Let's make it happen. If you're out there listening, The Flash. Let's go. Come on, Todd Helbing. I think that's the showrunner's name. Just throwing a reference to us in the finale. Or before. We're not picky. Nope. Just in an episode, we'd be fine. Possibly said by Stephen Amell when he appears in an upcoming episode. I know you've already filmed it, but whatever. <laughs> that's what ADR's for. Get them in. And in terms of your plugs, you're appearing quite a lot over the next month on Neil Before Pod. A total of three other times after this one. Yes. So if you enjoy listening to this... Look out for me on future episode specials that we do at this time of year. Yes, Star Trek 6 is our Star Trek First Contact Day celebration podcast. We're finally through the Alien movies with Alien Covenant. And for Star Wars Day, for some reason, we decided to cover the two Ewok movies. (laughs) 
And all I'll say at this point is I'm glad we decided to do both of them at once rather than <laughs> having two years of that. I feel like I got off lightly because we kind of mentioned that I'd suggested it and then I felt like everything was going to turn on me and <laughs> start berating me for putting us through this. And it never happened and I was glad. It's a shame. I think we learned after Ready Player One not to pile on people on the podcast. <laughs> Poor Chris was fighting the cause for Ready Player One being okay and Isaac and I were tearing into it. It was not a good balance. Maybe it's because I wasn't defending Caravan of Courage and Battle for Endor all that much that I was suffering through them with yeah, you. Yeah, I, I suffered with you guys. Yeah. Don't hate me, please. Feel your pain. <laughs> My two main plugs are, last week, as of when this comes out, I was on the Make It So, which is the We Made This Picard podcast episode, talking about episode seven, which was called Dominion. I was slash am on that, so you can listen to me there, crop up there, and... I did some interviews for Batman the Doom that came to Gotham. I interviewed Patrick Fabian, who was also in Better Call Saul, for a few minutes. He was really cool. I interviewed the voice of Batman, David Giantoli, who's the second Batman actor I've spoken to. The first one being Troy Baker, who's obviously, well, maybe not obviously to everybody, but a very prominent voice actor. He is the voice of Joel in The Last of Us, for example. Quite a big deal. Ten minutes with him was cool. Also, the writer, one of the directors. So four interviews for Batman the Doom came to Gotham. So you can check those out. They will all be up by the time this comes out. So you can listen to those. That's it for my plugs. If you want to hear me talk to someone who is in Better Call Saul, which you might, it is mentioned in the interview. (laughs) By you? Did you bring anything up about Better Call Saul? Yeah, the question was along the lines of, what's it like doing voice acting versus being in something like Better Call Saul? (laughs) And then he followed up on it. And I did ask him about Veronica Mars as well, which he was also in some years ago. So I just said, I like you in Veronica Mars. And he was like, oh, thanks. I really like to be on that show and stuff. Listen to the episode. Don't listen to me describing the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Doing a commentary for it now. Just doing my own transcript instead of listening to my audio transcript. Anyway. Let's move on. Let's get on to some trailers. So the first one up is No Hard Feelings, which has Jennifer Lawrence in it. She is hired to bring an introvert out of his shell before he goes to college. This trailer makes me feel really uncomfortable for a variety of reasons. One of them is this perpetual idea that we have in society that introverts need to come out of their shell. Why? Why can't introverts be allowed to be introverts? Why are we not asking extroverts to calm down? Yeah, it's a good question. I watched a lot of these trailers with frequent contributor Natalie, and she didn't like this at all and had similar sorts of reservations about it. She said that it feels about two decades late and that the humour might have been kind of early 2000s frat comedy type humour. Yeah, it seems a bit American Pie-esque, doesn't it? Yeah, and I suppose the flip or what they're trying to go for is that Jennifer Lawrence is the gross character in it. It did not really appeal at all. Well, the parents are pretty disgusting as well. We need to make our son better socially adjusted before he goes to college. That's part of what going to college is. He could go there and find his people. They don't know. Yeah, pretty horrible concept, really. (laughs) But yeah, the idea of this introvert needs to come out of his shell. And the way to do that is a hot chick. I feel like Jennifer Lawrence is better than this. Who does she owe a favour to that she ends up in this? Yeah, another of Natalie's observations was this feels like the sort of thing she could have been in before she was successful. Why would you do this now? And maybe she does just want a break from doing more prestigious stuff, but feel the same, I think. Feels like something you do when you're scrapping on the way up, trying to make a name for yourself. Yeah, but I can't wait to see the ending of this film where he realises that being outgoing is the best way to live. It's just icky. 
I've yeah. used that word already on this podcast, but it is. It does feel icky that they're doing this. What are you trying to say with this? It was one of these trailers for a comedy that I feel as if we've seen all the funny bits or the bits that are supposed to be the funny bits. Yeah, yeah I've seen all the jokes and I didn't laugh at any of them, so that's not encouraging. <laughs> Will I even see this? I don't know. I don't think so. Well, you watch a lot of other stuff you don't like, so... yeah. But that's usually in the comfort of my own home. <laughs> I don't like to go to the cinema going to watch something that I feel like I'm going to hate. And this is exactly what that is. So yeah. I don't think I'll bother. I'll be avoiding it. And I imagine you will too. Maybe catch it on streaming sometime when it inevitably appears two weeks after it's released at the cinema. Because <laughs> that's the way it works now, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, let's move on from that disgusting whatever it is. Haunted Mansion. Not the first time that the Haunted Mansion's been turned into a film. But it's another Disney ride becomes film. See also Pirates of the Caribbean and Jungle Cruise. Mm. I've seen some of the Eddie Murphy version, but I remember not enjoying it and turning it off. I actually remember starting to watch it and then it losing me pretty quickly and turning it off. But that doesn't reflect on this one in any way. That just means that that version was crap. This one looks fine. It's a good cast, but Disney movies usually get good cast. The Haunted Mansion setting looks all right. Visually, it looks pretty good. It looks fine, I guess. Yeah, I didn't remember the Eddie Murphy one at all until it was pointed out to me that the same thing happened 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't know. Disney owns the rights to their rides, and I guess they're just going to keep pumping out movies based on them, as you mentioned. Yeah, I agree. The cast looks good in particular. I really like Lakeith Stanfield. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's their prerogative, I suppose, to keep making movies about their properties and do it in a cycle. In 20 years, are we just going to have the next one? Maybe. Or maybe it'll be successful and we get... A string of horrible, horrible sequels. Yeah. We don't know. We will find out. The next trailer is for Citadel. This looks like another one of those stories. Well, it doesn't look like it is another of those stories about a super spy not knowing they're a super spy and being reawakened. It looks a bit standard as far as these things go. It looks a bit uninteresting. Nothing about it blew me away. There's a lot of black SUVs and <laughs> lots of dimly lit rooms full of screens. Lots of double talk about being spies and... Some action stuff that looks okay, but not exciting. My only note is that it hits all the greatest hits of trailer cliches that we quite often fall back on on this pod. It's got the moodier cover version of a popular song. <laughs> I feel like the beats were all the same. An AI could have made this, I think, this trailer, and probably even this script. Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, nothing in particular stood out to me. Yeah. It's the Russo brothers producing it, and the trailer makes it clear that they made Infinity War and Endgame. They are still trading on the fact that they made those films, despite the fact that since then they haven't really made or produced anything that's been any good. Yes, they have to keep referring back to their successful work. Yeah, I haven't seen everything they've made, but everybody always says that it's not very good. I know there's that Tom Holland film Cherry that they made that's apparently atrocious, and some other stuff. I don't know, their names on a lot of stuff. Particularly at Netflix or Prime, I think. I think they do a lot of streaming producing stuff because they're the people that made Infinity War and Endgame so they can attract money, I suppose, to make middle-of-the-road spy thrillers. The Grey Man, that was another one that I didn't that see. That was them, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. That was Chris Evans in that, wasn't it? Yeah, he was in that with Ryan Gosling, right? Sure. I didn't see it either. I didn't see it, but it's another one of these ones that they've gone on to make that just hasn't lived up to their biggest success. Yeah. It looks like a film that Chris Hemsworth would turn down. <laughs> I feel like you say that about quite a lot of the trailers that we talk about. But I feel like I've seen Chris Hemsworth in films like this a few times. Mm -hmm. I always talk about Hollywood has this list of actors that isn't very long, and they just go through it until one of them says yes. So it's like, well, Hemsworth said no. Let's ask the other Hemsworth. No, no. Richard Madden? Mm, okay. <laughs> 
He doesn't strike me as an action hero, but I've never seen Game of Thrones. Yeah, there's got to be a flowchart that they just follow. <laughs> yeah, just contact the agents of all these people and see who says yes, and then we'll go from there. <laughs> Hi, Hemsworth. Do you want to be in a middle-of-the-road spy thriller? Yeah, not this month. I'm filming three of those already. No, I'll start to get typecast as the middle-of-the-road spy thriller guy. No one that. Anyway, moving on, we have a trailer for Ghosted. I really like the look of this one, actually. I like seeing Chris Evans play against type. By type, I mean against Captain America, when he plays a character that's so visibly different to that. Yeah, I think this looks like a really fun action movie. It starts off seeming like it's just a standard rom-com, and then it becomes this action rom-com, I suppose. So something a bit Mr. and Mrs. Smith-esque. Mm. which is another film that I quite like. Anna de Armas seems to be breaking into the action sphere between this Bond and the ballerina, the John Wick spin-off that she's going to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good for her. I think this looks pretty cool. I can't decide whether it's a bit, here's this word again, icky, Chris Evans starting off with, yeah, I met this woman once and I'm going to track her down to London. Also, she's a super spy and he finds her, so she isn't that good at her job. Kind of hint at the fact that he's a bit of a weirdo for doing that, but I guess that was quite early on in the trailer that he was obsessing over this person that he'd been messaging and that she wasn't getting back to him. And yeah, it feels as if that was going to be what the plot was going to revolve around, and it's called Ghosted, so it kind of felt like, yeah, that's what they were going for. And then it takes a turn and it seems as if they leave that behind, and it's not really all that important. So I don't know how icky it is, really, other than that initial setup. I like to see this Knives Out cast reunion. I can see what they're going for, the kind of role reversal with the female agent saving the day with the hapless boyfriend or whoever in tow. But the humour really didn't get me. I thought that you might like it because you're a fan of Chris Evans and I guess seeing him, as you say, playing against type. But yeah, the humour, I cringed too much at this. I didn't really like a lot of what was going on in it. When I first saw this trailer, I didn't know what... I was expecting from it. I watched the trailer blind without reading a synopsis of the film or anything like that. So it started off and it looked like this rom-com thing and I was actually uninterested in that. As much as I like Chris Evans and Anna de Armas, I don't need to see them in a rom-com about the meeting once and him tracking her across the world or whatever. Is this going to be one of those creepy love stories where he just wears her down because he's so good looking? We've seen a few of those. They never sit well for me. And that may be what it is, except it's an action film at the same time. But when it pivoted to that action film, it caught my interest a little bit. So I feel like I'll watch it. But I wonder if it'd be better if you just watch the film and then it starts off being your standard rom-com and then turns into an action film and it would be more dazzling that way rather than the trailer doing that to you. Yeah, if they leave all of the action stuff out of the trailer and they just sell you, well, I don't know whether or not that would be successful. I'm sure that they know what they're doing, but it would be interesting to see something like that that's kind of pitched as just straight rom-com guy chases after a girl and then it completely changes direction. Although it'd be a difficult one to market because your target audience won't want to see it because they'll see the standard rom-com trailer and think, nah, it's not for me. Although any partner that's getting dragged along by the other one who loves rom-coms and thinks, oh, I don't want to watch it, but okay, fine, we'll go. And then they're like jumping out their seat when it starts getting action heavy. Yeah, you can imagine the interest levels sort of swapping as the film progresses. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be fun. Someone should perform some kind of social experiment but i'll give this a watch i'll make some time to sit and watch that it's on apple tv plus which means i'll be able to get a screener for it hopefully and not have to pay apple it's the dream like they say in the it crowd it's the dream that you get to consume something and not give any money to apple <laughs> okay let's move on to mrs davis which is another actiony thing it's damon lindelof which doesn't fill me with much confidence <laughs> the trailer is pretty vague but it looks fine it seems that earbuds are the next sci-fi evil is it going to be anything more than people wear earbuds and now they're evil? Don't know. It looks okay. 
I found this quite difficult to follow. <laughs> I couldn't really <laughs> tell what was going on or what I've watched. If you can explain, what did you pick up from this? I thought it was all pretty vague, so I'm not sure. I wasn't sure if this was an established character as well, because the trailer seems to treat her like one. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if she's an adaptation of something or she's been in something else. It's quite funny that it's Damon Lindelof and someone that worked on the Big Bang Theory working together to bring us this. I don't really know what to make of it. No. I can say this, though. Shazam could not find who does the cover of Living on a Prayer that the trailer has. Oh, really? Neither could Google. It must be one of those generic trailer bands. Now they have people that just compose music for trailers or record music for trailers. Mm-hmm. Must be one of them. Yeah, I don't know. The only other observation I had is that I really like Betty Gilpin when she was in Glow. But apart from that, nothing else. As I say, I couldn't really work out what I was watching. <laughs> well, that's Lindelof for you, isn't it? Mystery box trailers. You don't know what you're going to watch. Yeah, I'm also not interested in watching it, so <laughs> you failed. It achieved that. <laughs> failed to make me interested in watching this. Yeah, he probably didn't cut the trailer, but I'm just going to assume he did because I don't like him. You can attribute that to him. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's his fault. His name's on it, so it's his fault. As far as I'm concerned. Could be the Big Bang Theory guy. They've got enough to answer for. Moving on, we're back to Disney again for The Little Mermaid. I talked about the teaser last month and much the same opinion I have for this. It looks like a gloomy, ugly, murky mess. Even the colourful bits look really uncanny. It's bizarre that the same company makes Avatar and also this because you can get more different. Yeah, I found that the shots, because you know they do that kind of shot-for-shot recreation of the famous bits from the animation, and they just looked underwhelming. I'd rather watch the animation. My corporate stooge alter ego likes the idea of making loads of money off the back of this, because that's what these are really about. It's not about the art, it's about just crank as much money out of people as we can. So that's good. I'm sure this will be someone's favourite movie. Someone will watch this and really love it, and that's great for them, but it's not for me. Most of the live-action remakes have the same problem that you described, the idea that they just recreate shots from the original, but with less style. And you see that in the shot where she jumps out onto the rock and the wave crashes behind her. In the animation, that's iconic. That's what you think of when you think about The Little Mermaid. That's the one I was referring to, yeah. And then in this, it's just, okay, there's no artistry to that. Yeah, and because it's animation, you can play with it, you can do what you like, you can make it look as great as it did in 91 or 92 or whenever it was. But you can do that here. You could do that here, but it doesn't pull it off. And maybe there's diminishing returns because we've seen it before and you're comparing it to the iconic shot. Yeah. But yeah, it just doesn't look as good. But money, money, money. Give me that money. It will be a shame if it's bad because people will attribute it to the casting rather than the fact that it's actually just not very well done. Lots of people kicked off about the casting of Ariel because... She doesn't have red hair, wink, wink. Yeah, that is a shame. And I'm sure we've talked before about it being fine to not like something because it's not good or you don't like it. That's possibly what my reaction to this would be, not for any other reason. And lots of other people might not like it as well. And lots of other people might not go for perfectly reasonable reasons. I'm pretty sure the casting will be one of the things about it that I would like. Because they all seem to be doing pretty well. Javier Bardem as Triton seems like a good choice. That raised a chuckle from me when he appeared in the trailer. Just because it's Javier Bardem as a merman. Yeah. For no other reason. That's just funny by itself. (laughs) And Melissa McCarthy is properly hamming it up as well. Mm. I honestly probably will give this a watch. And I feel like I'll come out of it thinking, well, the cast were good. And Ariel has a nice voice. I know that already, though, because it's in the trailer. And then I'll just be thinking, it's the same film, but worse. Yep. As is so often the way. Speaking of which... Speaking of same film, but worse, yeah. What we really needed was another Peter Pan adaptation. This one called Peter Pan and Wendy. And what we especially needed was a gritty, dark camera filter adaptation of Peter Pan, where Peter Pan seems like a smarmy prick. (laughs) Which I guess he is. 
in the animation. Yeah, bit of a brat. I'm sure there will be no Red Indians in this version, because that is just ridiculous. Yes, that seems very unlikely. Probably for good reason. They point out that Lost Boys aren't all boys. They make sure that we know that in the trailer. We need to know that. We need to know how progressive it is. Yeah, and I guess that will be triggering for some people. (laughs) I'm sure it will, yeah. Except from the fact that it just looks kind of dull. Yeah, but again, corporate stooge alter ego. Give me that money. (laughs) Give me the money. We've got Peter Pan. We've got the IP. Just keep ringing it. Give me more money. This one seems strange because, again, when we were watching these trailers and thinking about when was the last Peter Pan adaptation, I feel like this happens more frequently. The Hugh Jackman one, Pan, it'll probably be that one. Yeah. There's probably been one in between that was much smaller. feels like we get these, they roll around more regularly, which makes it feel less necessary. But just give me that money. Money, money, money. (laughs) Again, this might be somebody's favourite movie. Someone might watch this and this could be their favourite version of Peter Pan. It could be their favourite movie of all movies. And that is fine. I 100% support that as long as they're giving me the money. Money, money. Give me more money. Well, every movie is someone's favourite movie. Yeah. It's concerning in some cases. (laughs) Hot take. It's not such a hot take. Controversial take, maybe. I quite liked Pan. Thought it was all right. Hugh Jackman was a good hook. I somehow missed that they cast Jude Law as hooking this. Could you have a more boring choice? (laughs) I did not recognise him, which is maybe good, but didn't realise. Peter Pan, I like. It's one of my favourite stories from growing up. I kind of associate the story or just watching adaptations of it with kind of Christmas movie sort of thing. And I think I saw part of Pan at Christmas, maybe this year, maybe the year before, but I haven't seen it all the way. And it's one of these things that you kind of flip in channels or whatever and it appears and you're like, oh, you know, it's Christmas. I'll just stick with this. I like them for that reason. And that might be how I end up watching this one. I can barely move after Christmas dinner. This will do. Yeah, exactly. I don't need to go out of my way to consume this, but I probably will see it in one of those settings at some point. In various out-of-order chunks over the period of several weeks. Yeah, but you know, you've seen it before, you know what happens. Yeah, pretty much. Next up is Elemental, which is hot off the presses. The trailer released today as we record. The first thing I'll say about it is I was immediately blown away by how amazing it looks. It's one of the things that I never really think about how good animation's getting until it's right in front of my face and it just seems like there's a, a stratospheric leap forward every few months almost. It just looks incredible. In terms of visuals, the trailer doesn't give you a lot in terms of what the film's going to be about. It tells you how the world works more than anything, which I really liked. I keep saying this with Pixar stuff, but their trailers don't really need to work hard to tell you what you're getting in a film because if you give people enough really creative visuals then the kids are already interested. And if you suggest that there's something more in it for the adults as well, then everybody's excited. I feel like Pixar marketing is a lot easier than some other marketing. Yeah, I would echo those sentiments. I thought it looked really good, really bright, colourful. Animation looked great. I was getting real inside-out vibes from it in terms of it being pretty conceptual. You might think that that seems quite a difficult thing to do with characters based on elements, the same as characters based on emotions or whatever. But I I expect them to pull it off because I always think that they're going to be able to make this into a great movie. I guess it all kind of boils down to the usual Pixar fare of characters or people from different backgrounds having to realise that we're not so different after all and we should all be getting along. It's a nice message and I expect that that is probably what will get served. But in a really well done package because these always turn out to be very good movies the pixar playbook of what if x had feelings what if feelings had feelings what if now elements had feelings yeah and i shouldn't even really feel like that would be difficult to pull off they could pitch anything and i should be like okay yeah i believe it poker chips are making me cry now (laughs) as i say i expect it to be good so they could 
give me some crazy pitch and I would expect it to be good. Yeah, it does look like it's a bit of a love story, but it's also about choice and making your own path. And there might be something about divisions within society in there as well. Yeah. As in these artificial barriers that people put up between class or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you do not have to stick to them. Yeah, exactly. There's all these characters who are kind of siloed off into their own neighborhoods or their own worlds that they are encouraged never to leave. And yet what we should really be doing is embracing our differences and that sort of thing. It's very timely considering what upper echelons of society are trying to get us to do at the moment. Mm. Teach the kids. Get the kids yeah. to understand it. A worthy message. And also money, 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 please. Yes, loads of money. And this one will come out in cinemas as well, which is good. They seem to be putting Pixar movies back in cinemas again. Yeah, it's good. It seemed like Disney were trying to kill off Pixar by just dumping all their output on Disney+, Plus, even though cinemas were open at the time. Unless it has Buzz Lightyear in it. <laughs> Bankable. Yeah, but Lightyear is a flop. <laughs> I thought it was okay. Chris Evans again. Not playing against type. He's very much a cheesy Captain America type. A real stretch for him. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's an easy paycheck. I'll turn up in a sound booth and do this. Fine, no problem. Can I interest you in a mid-range action movie? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to do a mid-range spy thriller? No. <laughs> do you want to do a mid-range animated movie? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Means I don't have to get dressed. Ideal. Okay, next up we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. So I'm interested to see what you think of this because you're a Turtles guy from way back. I am indeed. I've kind of swung backwards and forwards between loving the stuff I grew up with and kind of railing against any new (laughs) interpretations. And in the past, I think when I've seen trailers or ads or even caught bits on TV of newer versions with different animation styles, I've kind of thought, this isn't my Turtles, but maybe I'm maturing. Maybe I'm past that sort of thing because I quite liked this, even though the humour skews young, Gen Z probably, maybe even younger than that, Gen Alpha we might be trying to appeal to now. Is that the next one, is it? I think so, yeah. But I like the style, I like the animation style. The music kind of appealed to me. It makes sense, I suppose, because it's kind of harkening back to older hip-hop and stuff. And yeah, I'm kind of predisposed to like the Turtles, as you said. But yeah, I found myself more interested in this than I have been in previous iterations or previous animated versions. I haven't seen the Michael Bay Turtles. I kind of avoided stuff like that. When I can go back and watch the old, what I considered the original stuff that appeals to me, that actually kind of pissed off the original fans of the comics because it wasn't their Turtles. <laughs> Everyone's got their era that they like. We thought the Turtles was a dark manga-esque violent <laughs> crime thriller and you've just exactly. turned it into a cheesy kids cartoon. Yeah, so everyone's got their kind of jumping on point. Yeah, quite like the look of this. That's the thing with Turtles, though. It's almost built in to age out of it and let the next generation of fans go and watch their version of it. Yeah. It's one of those rare franchises that exists in that way, where they create something that's only meant to run for a couple of years, abandon it or end it, and then do another one later on. That's what the Michael Bay films don't understand about the Turtles. They're trying to... I don't really know what they were trying to do with those, but they certainly weren't making the turtles of a generation, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They were trying to appeal to people like me who watched the late 80s, early 90s cartoon with Uncle Phil as Shredder, as I <laughs> found out. And it didn't work because it was just so disingenuous. But every kid who's been into turtles will say they watched a certain version of it and probably didn't watch anything else and i guess that's fine but this i don't know what it's trying to appeal to i did quite like the description permanent teenager seth rogan sounds about right and yeah i can't talk i'm essentially a permanent teenager in a lot of ways it's fine not a problem there the animation looks great spider-verse certainly has a lot of positive things to answer for in terms of what it did for animation Mm. it allowed for experimental wacky looking stuff like this it doesn't look like anything else 
and that's great. You don't get much in the way of story, but you get a sense of what to expect. And I learned today that John Cena is the voice of Rocksteady. <laughs> well, I wonder who's going to play Bebop. I don't know, it's probably out there. You could probably find out. I just saw John Cena's Rocksteady, and I was like, oh man, I want to watch that. Because I love it when John Cena does comedy. <laughs> it's the thing he's best at. I mean, he's also huge and strong, but he's really funny. He's pretty good at wrestling. I never watched him when he did that. <laughs> he's one of my... Uh, there's a long list of wrestlers turned actors that I like, but he's one of them. Him and Dave Bautista are mm-hmm. the ones that I like. The Rock, we'll talk about later. Another trailer I wanted you to weigh in on slightly. I'm going to pick possibly a guest's brain about this in a bit, but Silo, this Apple TV Plus series, it's based on a series of books. That's why I'm picking the brain of someone else about it, because I haven't read them, and I assume you haven't either. But what did you think of the trailer? I was in two minds because I thought this looks like an interesting concept, but then I also was getting like it felt really familiar, like I might have seen this sort of thing before. What, you mean that all post-apocalypses are essentially the same? (laughs) I might be saying that, yeah. And as I say, on one hand, I thought this looks good. I'm drawn in by it and the concept. And then the other half of me was thinking, yeah, but there must be so many examples of this. And nothing in the trailer was really telling me what makes it stand apart from anything else. People in a bunker, apocalypse has happened outside, but we're led to believe that they're not being told the whole truth. I don't know. Is there anything else I'm missing from what I saw in the trailer? No, that's about what I gleaned from it on my first viewing certainly there is more to it because i may have already had this conversation with the guest and have a bit more of an understanding of what the thing is going for but also you've essentially nailed what the trailer gives you do we even know there's an apocalypse outside has anyone checked (laughs) what does the apocalypseometer say it's a bit like 10 cloverfield lane in that way actually yeah because in that, it's, I'm in this bunker with John Goodman, but all I know is that he says the world ended. Yeah, so sort of bigger scale of that. Yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty good. I might give it a watch. I don't know how my appetite for post-apocalypses is at the moment in time, but we'll see. Sometimes I feel like I've had my fill of just the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, we're living with too much of that at the moment. I mean, I watched The Last of Us because I loved the game, and I thought the TV series was really good which I should have brought up in what I've been watching. I thought the show was really good, but it doesn't actually stray from the game very much, which made me feel like I was watching something I'd already seen a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I bring with me because I've played the game. And I imagine people that haven't played the game wouldn't feel that. And maybe I won't feel that if I watch it again, but I certainly felt that. Basically, every major beat that happens in the game happens in the show and they don't change anything. And while we're cycling back to stuff we'd missed earlier, Seth Rogen will be voicing Bebop. Okay. Permanent teenager. Fair enough. That'll be an interesting pairing then. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> That's us done with trailers. What I'm going to do is I'm going to release you for a few moments, or for however long it takes, and I'm going to beam Chris aboard so that we can talk about Star Trek stuff, some Marvel stuff, and get his take on the silo trailer because he's read the books. So if you want to amuse yourself with a Rubik's Cube or something. I will now enter a meditative state. Yeah, you can do that. Energizing. <laughs> Uh, Chris, you're bored. Good. I just updated the software on the transporter console, so I wasn't sure if it was going to work. I know I should have probably tested it on a brick or something, but I didn't have time. I just thought I'd beat me up bored. Plus, they made me do a capture thing when I was trying to beat me up, and I don't know if I got it right. I'm sure I don't need my left ear. It's all fine. I'm sure that I can talk to medical and they'll glue on a new ear. Well, it was select all images that contain Chris, and I wasn't sure if the sliver of your ear counted, so I didn't press it. Yeah, it should have counted. You need to get better at those. You never know. Sometimes it lets you and sometimes it doesn't, but whatever. Most of you is here. You'll get your ear back when you go home. (laughs) It should still be there. Lying on the ground, waiting for me. As long as you're not away too long, 
You should be able to reattach <laughs> it without too many issues. But welcome aboard the Good Ship News Podcast. Been a while since you've been beamed in. Yeah, yeah, it's been ages. But you're glad that no unexpected beam outs at any time. <laughs> anyway, we're here to discuss a couple of things, or you're here to discuss a couple of things. I'm still here. I'm staying here. One of the things is that Star Trek Discovery has been announced to end with its fifth season, which has also been pushed to next year when it was supposed to be this year. A couple of interesting developments there. But what do you think of this news? What do you think of the fact that Disco will be no more as of the end of next year sometime? Yeah, I think it's sort of a shame, actually. I've been enjoying some of Discovery. It's not always been perfect, as you will hear on any of the podcasts where we discuss Discovery. But I've enjoyed quite a lot of it. I've enjoyed some of the characters and things that they've brought to it. It's flung us to far reaches of the Star Trek universe. But when you think about it, it's probably the right time because it's done so much across those seasons. They've done so many experimental weird things with it that I don't know where they could go next. I don't know if they knew where they could go next. I'm sure showrunners or writers would probably prop up everywhere saying, oh, we had so many plans for the next six seasons of this show. But I think it probably had run its time. And as long as they get the chance to have a good final season, then I think it's okay. The article that's in the show notes says that there will be some additional filming for the season, which potentially is why there's a little bit of a delay to it. So hopefully that is them able to tie everything in a nice, neat bow or leave the correct stuff hanging. Not too abruptly, not like a final cutscene thing at the end, but an actual ending to the show or a moment that we can enjoy. Based on how Discovery have handled things of this nature before, I would fully expect the ending to just be a quick scene where they just sum up everything that is now concluded. (laughs) You can see it happening. A voiceover. Yeah. One thing I wondered is if they'd written this season with the possibility of it ending in mind, so they wrote something that could easily just be the ending if it doesn't come back. Like what they did with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in season five. Mm. They wrote that as the end of the show, and then it came back for two more seasons. But they weren't prepared for that, so they just ended the show in season five and then brought it back subsequently. So I wonder if there was some element of that with this season. My guess is that they probably felt like the writing might be on the wall because they've been on for five seasons. Yeah, I I think it's definitely reached that sort of time. You've either got to move on to other characters or try and do another dimension to the show, and I think they might struggle to do that. So I'm hoping it was maybe written with a, "Mm, uh, the writing might be on the wall for this, so let's be constructive in the way that we finish it. I've kind of got similar hopes for you in that. I'm hoping it's not, oh, the additional filming is a bit of a voiceover from Burnham saying, oh, such and such goes on to do this and blah, blah, went and did that. And oh, what about me? I'm living my ideal bliss on a planet or something. I'm hoping that we get something. I don't know what, because that kind of person that criticizes them for coming up with a terrible idea without being able to come up with my ideal ending myself. But I'm sure I will have thoughts at the time. As a viewer, we don't need to know how they fix it. We just need to know that we didn't like what they did. That's what we get to do as viewers. (laughs) Or did like, in the positive world. Yeah, there's also that. Sometimes we do like stuff. It's easy to forget about that. It's an interesting space for Star Trek, if you'll pardon the pun, because two of the flagship shows are ending this year next. You've got Picard ending, thank God, this year, and you've got Discovery ending next year. So that leaves Strange New Worlds as their flagship show, plus the two animated ones. And there's the Section 31 show that definitely isn't happening now. (laughs) They haven't announced anything, but (laughs) that's dead, surely. There's no chance of that 
happening now. It does seem to stack up with what other streaming services are doing. There seems to be a unanimous scaling back in everything from other streaming services because the party's over. This stuff really doesn't make money in the way that they need it to, so they can't afford to keep pumping money into it. So things have to reduce. It's interesting that we've gone from a we want 52 weeks of Star Trek every year to we've just cancelled two of our flagship shows. Or ended two of our flagship shows. Yeah, I think Picard definitely was on its way to a conclusion anyway. I don't think they ever intended for it to be a six-season show or anything like that. I think it was always intended to be a shorter run than the others. Discovery, you might be right. It might be we're rationalising some of the estate that we've got here and this one it's had its time. Are we going to cut brand new Strange New Worlds? No. Let's cut one of the more established ones. And there is the potential for stuff to spin off, either off of Picard or off of Discovery. I think Discovery is in a strange point in the timeline because anything that you do in Discovery, any previous canon that you express and discovery kind of has an impact on everything that comes before it it's at that point of the timeline where you're like oh okay we don't really want to be referencing too much back to everything else whereas you could probably get away with that more earlier in the timeline so yeah i don't know what else they might come up with there was the starfleet academy one there was section 31 that they were talking about i'm kind of with you i think section 31's been in the works for so long it's just not going to happen i know that there was a bit of excitement about it at the time but i don't know it's nice that they were going to try something different both of those sound like they would be different shows from the ones that we've got but that would leave strange new worlds as a sort of more traditional inverted commas Trek show and then you would have another live action one which is slightly different but set in the same universe and then you've got the animation team doing their own thing in the corner Lower Decks being very much Star Trek but in a different way in Prodigy which I keep getting told is the best modern Star Trek and I've still not taken the time to watch it so yeah. Who keeps telling you that I wonder? I don't know, I don't know who would tell me that Mm, It's a mystery, we'll need to solve it It's probably someone from We Are Starfleet podcast could be. That's a good <laughs> podcast. People would champion that show over there, for sure. Strange New Worlds has apparently started filming its third season as well. That was recently, I don't know if it was officially confirmed, but certainly it was being said somewhere. And apparently the premiere date of season two is imminent, so it might be being confirmed as we speak. I don't know. I wonder if that'll be this year then, after Picard. They'll accelerate Strange New Worlds and leave Discovery. I'm not sure, but be interested leaving that as the flagship show. And in terms of that Starfleet Academy one, my guess is if that comes to pass, they might try and set that in the Picard era, because that means you can have whoever you want as guest lecturers from the Next Generation era, rather than in the Discovery era, where you just have the Discovery cast, and that's about it. I think you're right. Yes, you could still have your guest lecturer thing, but it'd be like, oh, we've got a hologram of insert name of character that we (laughs) want to have appear as a guest this week, which I don't think would have the same feeling to it. I think you would rather see the real character appearing on a show like that. So you're right, a roundabout Picard-era Academy show. Yeah, we'll see. And Chris Pine also talked about in an interview where he was promoting Dungeons and Dragons that he would love to play Kirk again, hope he gets to do it. And he also said something in a separate interview that I've been saying for a long time that Paramount should stop chasing the billion dollar box office for Star Trek because it doesn't need it. So yes, Chris Pine, copy my comments. Off you go. (laughs) People listen to him, they don't listen to me. So sure, go for it. As long as he credits me every time he says it, I'll (laughs) forgive him. So yeah, lots of 
changes in the Star Trek universe. Not all of them for the better, perhaps. I don't know about you, I never wanted 52 weeks of Star Trek a year. Even for me, that's a bit much. Yeah, I mean, as much as I love a bit of content, if 50% of that, if 80% of that doesn't really suit you or isn't very good, do you want it? Do you want that much there? Probably not. I would rather that it was less frequent, but better when it did appear, like a more of an occasion when it appears. Yeah. Or just give us a break once in a while. Give us a break. Give the writers a chance to develop stuff without being burned out. Give the cast a chance to do stuff. It can make it a bit more interesting, and it means that they've not got the usual time pressure. I get that there's budgetary reasons for a lot of these things as well. It's also that they've got to show that every quarter they've got something to put in front of shareholders or whatnot and say look this is what's going to draw people to the platform this quarter and look we've got star trek because that's one of the things that we own here it is so yeah i understand why some of these things happen but yeah yeah okay let's move on to talk about some marvel stuff basically we're mopping up all the stuff that angus doesn't really care about there is some <laughs> other stuff on the list that he's maybe not going to care about but this would be stuff that he has definitely checked out on he's one of those people that has checked out of the marvel universe by and large because of how overwhelming it is and we've already discussed the fact that they're scaling back content somewhere else not on this podcast but it has been brought up but we have some news about daredevil born again specifically casting here's one that that surprised the hell out of me john bernthal is returning as the punisher for daredevil born again now we know nothing about this show in terms of what the tone will be we know nothing about what the story will be anything like that my guess is that Daredevil will be nothing like his appearance in She-Hulk, as in that tone won't follow on to this show. But I also don't think it'll be as brutal as the Netflix show. Which means I'm really surprised that Disney, of all companies, are doing a version of The Punisher. And I wonder what that will be. What do you think of John Bernthal coming back? Did you like him in the Netflix-verse stuff? Did you watch The Punisher show? Did you watch season two of Daredevil that he was in? I did watch season two of Daredevil. I did not really enjoy the Punisher section. I think it was, what, the first half of that season, pretty yeah. much, or a good portion of the season. I didn't really enjoy it, which meant that when he got his own show, I didn't bother. I didn't even start it. It was sort of my beginning of not really enjoying a lot of the stuff that the Netflix side were putting out at that point. Jessica Jones was a bit of a misfire for me. I didn't really enjoy Iron Fist that much. Punisher, I didn't really enjoy that much. So it, there was a lot of stuff there that was like, ah, it's not for me. So it was one that I sort of checked out of. I'm a bit like you. I'm a bit confused by Disney deciding, oh, do you know this ultra-violent character? Let's put them in here as well and show that we're serious. I don't think they're going to be able to follow through on what fans might want from that character. I am willing to be proven wrong. I find it really odd the continuing cast but a new version of these characters thing. I know that She-Hulk is tonally different from Daredevil. I am a bit like you. I'm not expecting the same version of Daredevil to appear in here. However, you do wonder tonally how it's going to work. And part of me, I am glad that they've got Charlie Cox back, but also maybe if they had recast, it wouldn't seem so jarring. If you could sort of go back and go, I'm wanting to erase the Netflix shows from my head before I watch this. Otherwise, I don't think I'm going to be able to follow, especially when they're bringing certain cast members back but other ones aren't coming back. And are they going to get replaced with different actors, but the same characters in this new world? It's very confusing in my head. Yeah, the tonal shift doesn't bother me at all, actually, because 
Daredevil isn't just what he is in the Netflix show. There's many different writers and many different takes on him over the decades since his mm. creation. So there's no real absolute, this is the definitive Daredevil. There are definitive Daredevils for certain readers, but he can be a lot of things. So I'm okay with a potentially more light-hearted take on it. Is this Punisher only going to use water pistols? I don't know. <laughs> I'm picking up for that, to be honest. I'm just walking around soaking people. Do you know what? I might actually watch that show. <laughs> I absolutely get that you can have different tones. I think my problem is in my head trying to equate that where you're seeing the same actor but in that different tone. It's not a continuation. It's like a new start but the same cast. And I don't know how my head is quite going to square that. Yeah, but you just look at the Daredevil show being set on Earth 615 or whatever and then it's fine. This is just a variant. I know, but then my head won't do that when it's watching it and it's the same character you know what i mean yeah that's the problem is i know that this is a different version and there's different variations and 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 however i think my brain will take a bit to get around that even if i have a post-it stuck to my tv that says by the way chris this is a different earth fyi <laughs> i'm still going to be looking at it and going yeah this is odd where she hulk the show it's not daredevil show he wasn't a main character throughout that entire season he was a guest appearance for a few episodes even though for seven episodes all people were asking about she hulk was where's daredevil where's daredevil yeah when's daredevil showing up everyone so i didn't quite find it as jarring i found it a bit silly and stuff but i didn't find it as jarring as i think i'm gonna find his show it could be that they just acknowledge that the events of his show happened and then they just are cagey about them, don't really talk about them. I don't know. It could be anything. We already know that this Fisk in this universe is different from the mm-hmm. one that we saw in the TV show because he isn't a recluse for most of his life, clearly, because he was close with Echo growing up and things like that and likes to wear his holiday shirt <laughs> and his little hat. I mean, who doesn't? It's just how he rolls in this universe, apparently. <laughs> In terms of the thing you alluded to is that Deborah Ann Wall and Eldon Henson weren't part of the casting announcements, which suggests one of two things. One, they're not in it. Or two, they are in it and just haven't been announced yet. I suppose the third thing. Three, they are in it and they're going to be recast. There was a set photo that appeared online recently that had a billboard on it or something like that or a poster that said that the date was 2020, which suggests that some of the show might be set during the blip which may explain the absence of Karen and Foggy early on in the show's run. Mm, okay. Remember, it's an 18-episode thing. They've only just started filming, so it could be that they're just not called until later on. That's interesting. Would there be any point in holding back on their casting at this point? I suppose it's just an announcement you can keep until later to generate buzz later on. Yeah, spread the buzz out a little bit. It just seems a bit weird. That's the thing. To announce, oh, the lead's back and the villain's back. And, oh, by the way, we're not going to announce anything about any of the other characters are coming back. But we've got Punisher. <laughs> it just seems an odd thing to hold off on. But like you say, maybe it is that, that there's a later appearance in the show or they're filming it all in a separate way later. And a lot of outlets that should know better incorrectly reporting that the actors weren't in the show. But Marvel has said nothing either way, so... Please do your research outlets before you jump to conclusions, which is something that I will reiterate for a slightly later news story. Another piece of news related to Daredevil that supports the It's a Different Universe theory is that the recast Vanessa, Sandrine Holt, will now be playing her instead of 
I let Zura, who played her originally. Fair enough. I don't know how many people are connected to the original Vanessa. I thought I let Zura was really good in that role, actually. And I liked her chemistry with D'Onofrio. But there could be any number of reasons why they wanted the character back, but they couldn't get the actor. Maybe she has another job. Can't expect everybody to hang around waiting for Marvel to maybe call them. Yeah, that is the potential, definitely. And also, Margarita Laviva has been cast in an unknown role. But that's all I have to say about that, because she's in an unknown role. But she's going to be in the Star Wars series, The Acolyte, as well. So I guess she's just hanging around the Disney lot and saying, yeah, we may as well put you in this. <laughs> why not? And another piece of casting, this is just a rumour, is that Kristen Ritter's Jessica Jones is rumoured to also return in Daredevil Born Again. And possibly more things after that. You said that you weren't a fan of Jessica Jones as a show. Did you like Kristen Ritter in the role? And would you like to see her back? Or would you rather never see her again? I thought she was okay in the role that she was given. I just found Jessica Jones really miserable. I like to watch TV sometimes for a bit of fun. I like to enjoy what I'm watching. And I spent a lot of Jessica Jones going, well, I feel depressed. (laughs) I think that it was interesting some of what they did. David Tennant was particularly standout in that show as well. I think some of the acting in that was okay. It's just, I found it a bit dull and depressing some of the time. I want characters to occasionally crack a smile, but when it's just an onslaught of everyone being miserable, it just didn't quite connect with me in the same way as some others. Fair enough. Well, we'll see what happens there. Another bit of Marvel news is that Stephen Yoon, who played Glenn in The Walking Dead, as well as a number of other roles that he's been in, look them up. He has been cast in the Thunderbolts in an undisclosed role, but the scuttlebutt is that he will be playing Sentry, who is essentially one of Marvel's Superman analogues. I'll just read this slight excerpt of what he can do. The Sentry possesses remarkable levels of superhuman strength, speed and intelligence, as well as invulnerability, enhanced senses, energy projection abilities and the power of flight, all fuel via absorption of solar radiation. So, you know, Superman and dependent (laughs) upon his mental state. So not quite Superman. When stable, he has the potential for virtually limitless power, described as equal to a million exploding suns. However, if his mental state wavers, he becomes weaker and easier to defeat. What you're going to have is the Thunderbolts just trying to upset him. And when they manage Mm. to upset him, they shoot him in the face or something because otherwise it's a bunch of black widows and captain america clones essentially fighting (laughs) superman which would be a challenge for them especially in a universe where kryptonite doesn't exist yeah and he's already in the superhero bag isn't he because he's invincible as well in yon animation world yes he already voices a kind of superman yeah so this time he gets to do it in live action potentially they haven't said potentially terms and conditions apply character may or may not be character good actor i normally enjoy him and the stuff that he appears so i have no bad feelings about this i'm not too sure how i feel about the entire show well it's a movie i'm sorry the movie but i have no particular thing against the casting he'll be good whatever he does but we'll see if the Suicide Squad take on Superman ends up being an engaging film or not. The last bit of Marvel news is that there's a new superhero making their debut in What If. Kahori, her name is. What If asks what would happen if the Tesseract fell to Earth and landed in the sovereign Haudenosaunee Confederacy. I've completely butchered that pronunciation. Before the colonisation of America. The Tesseract takes on a new life and a new mythology, transforming a lake into a gateway to the stars and leading Kaori, a young Mohawk woman, on a quest to discover her power. As far as I know, this is supposed to be the first original created for the MCU hero, and she's appearing in an animated what-if thing, so probably will never appear in the main continuity, but with multiverse, who knows? So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds cool. That's the whole thing about what-if, though. Do different stuff. 
You're going, there's a world of possibilities. Anything could happen. Okay, we'll do a bit of anything then. Don't show us the same characters that we normally see just in a slightly tweaked situation. Captain America, but a woman. Yes, exactly. Fine, I enjoyed seeing a bit of Captain Carter and all that sort of stuff, but also do something different. What if, but zombies? Okay, cool. (laughs) Inventing new characters, go for it. That's what I like to see. I mean, they borrow so much from the comics, so for them to be going off and generating their own thing for a change, yeah, have at it. I'm all for this. Also, there's a pronunciation guide in the article that I didn't read until now. Cahorte is how you pronounce her name. It's a real Wolf Clan name, and the episode it's going to be was made in close collaboration with members of the Mohawk Nation. So they've gotten Excellent. a bit of authenticity to it. And online, Amber Midthunder, who recently dazzled people in Prey, and she was in Legion, if you remember, because of course you remember. How can you forget Legion? But she was one of the people in Legion. She came out saying, yeah, this is great. I really like this. And then People asked her if she was voicing the role, and she said no. And then outlets reported that Amber Midthunder voicing new Marvel character. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out that she is voicing her, but she said that she isn't, but she would have loved to, and then people reported that she was. <laughs> Accuracy, people. It's not hard. Oh, dear. I like it. So she tweeted out sort of a hint, hint, this sounds great. And then yeah. people have jumped on and went, cast, done. If only there was an up-and-coming Native American actress that was doing really well in Hollywood at the moment that could join the Marvel Universe like this. Potentially be cast in this role. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who could even bring her to live action quite easily if they ever so chose to do so. Yeah, if only. It doesn't say who's voicing her, though, so it could be her. There's also going to be a special glow-in-the-dark Funko that teases the new hero's cosmic powers. So there you go. Oh, very cool. I look forward to Funko putting it on a big landfill rather than selling it off cheaply. Yeah, that's a weird one. Why not just let people pay postage or something? No, you just burn them in a big landfill. You just melt them into a big puddle of plastic yep. and write them off for tax purposes. Yep, just inject tons of carbon into the air by yeah. burning them all. For tax purposes, though, so it's good. You know it's good when it's for tax purposes. Yeah, so that's it for Marvel stuff. Some pretty cool stuff there. Most of it Daredevil. I'm going to pick on you to talk about a couple of trailers before I beam you back and return to Angus. One of them is, well, as we record, they released this today. Power Rangers Once and Always, the 30th anniversary Netflix special that is on in April. They released a trailer for it. In that trailer, we see Rita Repulsa returned in a new body, but her face is like a weird metal robot face. So... They clearly haven't really got an actress or maybe they'll show her face later in the thing. We don't know. And some old, and I mean old in the case of some of them, Rangers return to fighter. Billy and Zack and you get Cat and Rocky also coming back. So that's black, blue, pink and red come back to reprise their roles. Watching this trailer, one of the weirdest things I found about it was it's really strange looking at these old costumes and monster suits and putties and stuff in HD. <laughs> it doesn't look right. There's something wrong with that. I've got to say, fair play to them for going for the 90s aesthetic. Just... 100% embracing it in that way. Well done to them for that. We had our thoughts of the reboot slash update of Power Rangers. Yeah, we liked it. <laughs> Unashamedly for this one, they've just went, yeah, we're doing it the way we did the classic. Be that that someone made some sort of budgetary decision or be that that they were like, no, we're doing this for the nostalgia and for no other reason than the nostalgia and it works, doesn't it? It just looks like watching it 
but maybe slightly higher definition, like you say. But the fact that they've done model work and the suits, yeah, I, I like that. They've recognised that that's what the charm of it is, though. The fact that it's aimed at us who grew up watching the original Mighty Morphin series. Mm. We might feel cheated if it suddenly looks good. <laughs> the thing is, like you say, they've 100% went for us as an audience. A younger viewer who has no connection to the original show, I think, would look at it and go, what is this? <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of us will be like, oh my god, it's like when we were kids. I think they 100% know what they're targeting for this, and it is not newer viewers to that universe. Yeah, the story seems to be that Rita goes back in time to before there were Power Rangers to try and kill them or something before they can become Power Rangers, and the old rangers have to go back in time to stop her so they're maybe looking at some stock footage from a distance and going oh god remember when we did that <laughs> here's that point in our histories or whatever so i've got to say i'm all for this it's quite funny how i'm watching picard and criticizing its command of nostalgia and how it just keeps going for that nostalgic beat and then you show me a power rangers trailer and i'm like yep want to see this right now can't wait <laughs> Sometimes it's just, I'm nostalgic for this, and it seems like you know that and you're building something around it, so why not? Will you be watching when it launches on Netflix? Maybe. <laughs> Let's see. It's a Netflix thing, so I'll borrow what you normally say, which is Netflix, a lot of the time, don't publicise what they've released or when, so there's the high possibility that I will completely forget this is a thing until at some point it appears on a suggestions list on Netflix. <laughs> No, no. I'll be breaking my rule about Netflix stuff and making a point to watch this. I will probably watch it as quickly as I can. And maybe we should podcast about it because big Power Ranger stuff. See what's happening at the time. But yeah, I'm excited. Those old Rangers. Billy looks old. That's allowed. I know. I'm just saying he looks old. <laughs> it's actually good that he's come back for it, though, because he had a not great time filming the show back in the day, apparently. He was met with a very homophobic, toxic cast. Or crew, anyway. Whoever was running the show wasn't very nice to him because they found out he was gay and then mm. made life very difficult for him. And I think all the actors had issues with pay because they were doing some weird thing where it wasn't filmed under union rules in the US or something. So they got paid a pittance for doing like a million episodes. But hopefully they're getting paid what they deserve now. I don't know anything about the legal situation, so I'm not venturing anywhere close to that. You can have whichever views on that you like. <laughs> I'm just being hopeful. That's all I'm being. I'm talking about with the original stuff. I'm sure that they are getting paid what they are due now. But anyway, that's happening and I'm excited. I'm glad I saw it and I look forward to seeing more of it. I have no idea what the current state of Power Rangers is, what the actual main series of it is up to, wherever that's airing. I don't know if this will connect to that in any way. I don't know if the woman in the trailer is one of the cast of the current Power Rangers series or not. I have no idea who that is. I guess I'll watch it and find out. Could have researched it, but why would you do such a thing? Let's move on to something I will talk about with Angus anyway, or possibly already have. I'm not sure. Silo, you mentioned that this is a thing that you're excited about because the trailer says it's a best-selling book series, which you could put up from the Chris Bought This series of books. <laughs> Chris single-handedly made this a best-selling book series. Yeah, it's based on books by Hugh Hawley, I think is how you pronounce the name. It is the Dust Trilogy of Books. It was one of these ones that I was recommended. Went into a local bookshop in Portobello and they said, if you like this book and that book, you should really try this series. 
and I loved it. It's based around a society living in a silo. You can see where they get the title from there. Basically, the silo is built on a variety of levels where you've got agriculture, engineering, you've got your postmen who are delivering the letters up and down the silo, your delivery people who are walking through. So you've not got any modern communications from the top to the bottom. Any information that runs up and down has got to be done by people. Basically, an engineer called Juliet becomes the sheriff the detective in the silo that's required to investigate different bits and pieces. And as she investigates, things go a bit strange. Starts uncovering things that maybe she shouldn't. And it's mm. mysterious and such. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone because it's very good. You get little hints of it through this trailer. I think the imagining of the silo itself looks really cool. I particularly like the shot of the agriculture section. As they're going through, they show this life-birth-burial cycle. From within the silo, it's completely contained community. So people can't go outside or they will die. People just don't last very long if they go out there. There's a hint in the trailer of, do we even know that there's an apocalypse outside? What if there isn't? Yeah, all you know is what you're told. There's one window at the very top of the silo that looks out. You can't see beyond to the rest of the world. So what is going on out there? What happened? Why are people in a silo? Who knows? Well, you do, but I don't. <laughs> Hence, I'm being very careful of my description. What you said at the start sounds a bit like the video game Death Stranding, the idea of taking posts by slow person. Yeah, all communication is really, really slow. It's a societal thing where it's all based on layers and community and how all that works, all these rules that people have got to follow, how everything's enforced. It's a really interesting series of books, so I can highly recommend that. Or, of course, watch the show. Apple TV, they don't release that much content, but normally when they do, I quite enjoy it. It sounds kind of like a vertical snowpiercer as well. I like that, vertical snowpiercer, sure. Vertical Snowpiercer. Which came first? The Snowpiercer just a horizontal this. <laughs> Do you know what? Genuinely, I don't know. I don't know what would written first. <laughs> I think Snowpiercer, but I might be wrong with that. We could find out, but it's more fun to just speculate. Yeah, why research? Why break the habit of a lifetime? I'll just report it as the truth anyway. It seems to be the norm. Why not? Just cover it up by saying sources say. Sources close to the books say. I'm going to write an article saying that author of Silo ripped off Snowpiercer or Snowpiercer <laughs> author ripped off Silo, one of the two. In fact, I'll just write both, put them on different websites and see what happens. I mean, you're saying Snowpiercer there. The other one that kind of comes to mind is things like Wayward Pines, which was really good. I enjoyed the first season of that. The second season was Bobbins, but the first season was very good. It has that sort of feel. I think what we can say here is most post-apocalypse stories are basically the same in terms of the <laughs> They're all the same. There's no point. Watch one of them and then don't bother with the rest. It depends how into post-apocalypses you are as well. Sometimes you can just have your fill and you see one of these and you're like, nah, not another one. Fun enough. The problem is when you feel like you're living in one and watching one at the same time. That's when you know it's getting a bit too much. Yeah, or where you're wishing for one. I guess, is another possible... Oh dear, that's even more serious. In that case, speak to a friend to seek help. Don't suffer in silence, suffer in silo. Oh. On that, should I beam you back to be reunited with your left ear? Yes, please. You'll be able to hear from both directions now. That'll be really nice for you, I guess. But thanks for showing up to talk about the things that Angus would just nod and agree with me on. Sure, and let Angus know that I nodded and agreed in his general direction as well. I will. I will pass that on. Anyway, energizing. 
we're back. Chris told me to pass on that he is nodding and agreeing in your general direction. Well, I'm glad that there's a consensus and that we're agreeing. Yeah, because I told him that he was coming on to talk about the stuff that you would just nod and agree with me about because you don't care. And that's his rebuttal. <laughs> I thought this would be about Silo and that he was just assuming that I would have all the right opinions about something that he knows about. You can choose to believe that if you want. I choose to believe. Yeah, go for it. It's all about creating your own narrative these days, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, post-truth world, why not? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on. You couldn't entirely avoid Marvel because they did the rude thing of releasing news between me talking to Chris and you being here. How dare they? How dare they? So you have one reminder that the Marvel Universe exists, and I'll just ask you this. Do you remember the film The Incredible Hulk starring Edward Norton? Very vaguely. Do you remember that Liv Tyler was in it? Very vaguely. Well, she's coming back. She's going to be in Captain America New World Order, which is the Anthony Mackie-led Captain America movie. In The Incredible Hulk, she played the character Betty Ross, daughter of, at the time, General Ross, who was William Hurt at the time. Now he will be Harrison Ford. So he is the second recast from the Incredible Hulk cast, the first being the Hulk himself, who is now Mark Ruffalo, not Edward Norton, for various reasons that are too long to go into, and we don't know the whole story anyway. And Harrison Ford is now Thunderbolt Ross because William Hurt's dead and can't reprise his role. Marvel haven't quite gotten into necromancy. Yeah, it's a bit of an obstacle. It's coming, though. It'll happen. They could have deepfaked him into it, right? (laughs) They could have. Still waiting for them to do that with Stan Lee. It's going to happen sooner rather than later. So she's coming back for that. I'm not against the idea. I quite like Liv Tyler. I think the Betty Ross character has a lot more potential than the Incredible Hulk allowed her to have. Not that I think she'll realise it here, but it's positive. Quite cool that she's coming back. I think this is the announcement fans have been waiting for. I think this is really going to re-energise the post-Endgame Marvel Cinematic Universe. Are you now going to see New World Order because Liv Tyler's in it? Is that what you're saying? Uh, let's say yes. Well, will Harrison Ford get you into the cinema? He'll be in it. 1980 Harrison Ford? Yes. Nah, it's now Harrison Ford. Oh, no. I thought we were talking about a deep fake 1980 <laughs> or 81 Harrison Ford. Give me Empire. Give me Indiana Jones. I'll take that, please. Can we get that? No, but he will be the president, and he'll probably say some variation of get off my plane to someone. Uh, Okay, that could interest me. He'll hold someone by the scruff of the neck and say, get off my helicarrier. But now I feel like I've seen all the best bits. That I've just described to you. Yeah. (laughs) You can also watch his red carpet interviews that it will inevitably come where he gets asked about Red Hulk, and he has no idea what a Red Hulk is. Those will be fun. Yeah. As I say, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is bouncing back with this announcement. (laughs) Sarcasm detected. (laughs) In the comics, Betty Ross eventually became Red She-Hulk as well. So they might do that. But like when they got Natalie Portman back, do you want to be Thor? And she's like, yeah, I'll do that. So maybe they're enticing her with the possibility of wearing a mocap suit and being a big red lady. Who wouldn't be enticed by that? I would agree. Turn me into a big red lady, why not? Yeah, I feel like the money, 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 money might have something to do with it as well. There will be a lot of money, yes. It's interesting that it took this long, though. Well, we like money. Yeah, we do. Unfortunately, we don't have any. <laughs> we need some IP, and we need to start making <laughs> making multiple <laughs> movies off the back of it. We need to be in posters that are in films. Yes, we've got something new to aim for. I don't know how much money we would make from that, but it's a starting point. There might be some kind of psychological tick when people see it and they think, I wonder what that is. And they look it up. It didn't work on me. I didn't notice those references. To that. <laughs> you will next time you watch it, though. But also, I remember I did a 
quiz at work once and there was a bunch of those name these logos they stripped the name out of the logo and it was like name these logos and i didn't get any of them right which shows that advertising doesn't work on me were they real world or were they movie companies they were real world oh that's why you didn't it was like car badges and stuff like that and sweetie wrappers and whatever i think that just shows that advertising doesn't work on me as long as you're buying those things that's all they care about yeah but mostly because every time an advert comes up on YouTube, I hit mute on my remote and just wait the excruciating five or 20 seconds or whatever it is before I can skip it. Turn your face away. You can't possibly watch. Yep, exactly. Anyway, you're super excited about that Marvel announcement. That's what I'm taking from this. Yeah. Let's hop over the fence and talk about DC. The first up is the animated show Batman Caped Crusader. It's not going to be on HBO Max anymore. It's going to move to Amazon and they gave it a two-season order. The series from J.J. Abrams. Ugh. Matt Reeves and Bruce Tim. Bruce Tim's good though. Was previously developed for HBO Max. That's basically it. They've landed it. It was said a few months ago they were shopping it around to other streamers when HBO Max cleared house and just binned a lot of stuff. This was one of them. So they shopped it around. I really wanted it to land at Disney Plus. I think that'd be hilarious. A Batman <laughs> series on Disney Plus. <laughs> But it's not the way. There's not really a lot known about it. It's said to harken back to Tim's 1990 Batman the Animated Series, but it's not in that universe. Comic book scribe Ed Brubaker is among the creative team. The picture of Batman has big ears. Mm. So we know it's big ears Batman. It's in the naughty universe. (laughs) Maybe he attacks people by ramming into them with his giant ears. Maybe. So this is yet to be released in any form. Yeah, there's just a picture, a conceptual picture. Okay. So we don't know if it's going to be good or not. No. But it is one of the many Batman that we love to discuss. Yeah, another one. Two-season order, which is consistent for animation. Someone explained this to me who is in the field. They explained that they tend to order these in two-season or however many episode chunks that would also be two-seasons. It's up to them whether they split it into two seasons or not. But when you're commissioning assets for an animation, it's cheaper to do it over that many episodes rather than one season and see how it goes. Cheaper. I like that. <laughs> so you get two seasons usually no matter what because they make them and whether anybody watches them or not doesn't determine whether the thing gets cancelled after one season if that makes sense it goes some way to maybe answering why some shows that seem like they shouldn't have a second season end up getting one because we paid for it that's the way buy in bulk save money make money exactly next up is an announcement that people were really surprised by not James Gunn has decided that he's going to direct Superman Legacy. He's in charge of DC now and he's decided I'll do Superman. Which, to be fair, can you fault him for? If someone gave me the keys to DC, I'd say, yeah, I'll do Superman. I'll cover that. Everyone else can do everything else. Yeah. A James Gunn-directed Superman film is something that I'm really interested in seeing. He does seem to be committed to bringing back the hopeful version of the character that we haven't really seen an awful lot of lately, unless you watch Superman and Lois. Is this a kind of reset one? Is this what I'm hearing? Yes, James Gunn is now running the DC expanded, connected, whatever universe they're going to call it. And this is going to be an early year Superman. I think it's in the similar vein to Robert Pattinson's Batman. He's been at it for a year or so. Right. It's another young Superman story, which is less interesting, at least on the surface. We get to watch Uncle Ben die all over again, learn how great power comes with great responsibility. I do not need to see Krypton blow up again. (laughs) I get it. It's gone. But then if we do this enough times, if we reset enough times, then we can have a multiverse version and all the different Superman actors can come back and fans will love it. Well, they could, but I don't think anybody at Warner Brothers wants to let Henry Cavill anywhere near the role again. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a shame, poor guy. I mean, I say poor guy, he's got several franchises on the go. He'll He'll be be fine. fine. Poor rich actor. (laughs) 
But James Gunn directing a Superman movie, I think he'll do a good job. But yeah, some people are criticising him because it's like, oh, you're in charge, so you're just hiring all your mates and all your family and directing Superman movie. Like, well, yeah, I'm in charge, so of course. People criticising the fact that he puts his wife in stuff, even though he said that the only thing that he actually cast his wife in was The Suicide Squad and Peacemaker because those are the things he made, whereas mm. everything else was nothing to do with him, like Black Adam which she's in briefly, and Shazam too, which she's also in briefly. That was nothing to do with him, apparently. So he says. I don't really care either way. <laughs> he won't be the first person to deploy nepotism, and he won't be the last. Nope, it's the new hotness. It's a really old hotness. Well, specifically the term nepo baby, which I see everywhere now. <laughs> <laughs> There could be a Nepo baby coming up on our list at some point in the near future. I'm looking forward to all the Nepo babies. <laughs> More Nepo babies, please. Should we have the Avengers of Nepo babies? Yes. All in one film. Yeah. Each more entitled than the last. <laughs> yeah, I'd be up for that, actually. Especially if it makes us lots of money. You're back on the corporate train again. Yeah, I'm leaning into it in this half of the podcast. I can foresee a future where Neil Before Blog slash Pod is supremely lucrative, but we've all lost the passion for it because it's just this corporate nonsense we're just writing clickbait crap or recaps that are just summarizing what happened in an episode of a tv show stuff like that and we thought getting our posters featured in a movie would just lead to good things but in fact it was the downfall into corporate hell the first hurdle was when the poster appeared in the last episode of picard and then it went downhill from there first domino to fall just a poster for a podcast in an episode of picard he goes into some archive and he's like i really like those podcasts from the 21st century <laughs> that i've been listening to they produced a thousand episodes. There's one guy would shut up about money. <laughs> yeah, whatever that is, because we're in our enlightened future where everybody's miserable. <laughs> Moving on our DC thing, I alluded to this earlier, but The Rock seems to have been stirring up some nonsense. It's been confirmed, or all but confirmed, that there was supposed to be a cameo of The Rock in Shazam 2, which makes sense because Black Adam is Captain Marvel, is the actual name of this superhero as originally intended. It's his villain. He's the opposite. It's the bad version of that. He has the same powers. So he stopped Zachary Levi cameoing in Black Adam, and then he stopped himself from cameoing in Shazam 2. I don't like that. I feel like The Rock, as time goes on, it's just becoming more and more apparent how petty he is. Yeah, I think there was a while where in this Rock v Vin Diesel feud, everyone assumed that The Rock was the goody and that Vin Diesel was the weirdo. But maybe they're both just weirdos. I think they're both just unpleasant, yeah. Yeah. They were both arguing for the, I want to throw as many punches as the other guy. Yeah, definitely. And I get the feeling The Rock, his choices, his roles that he's taking, he's completely entitled to do whatever he wants. But I'm sure we've discussed as well how it feels like he's not exactly putting himself out there or doing a lot of the stuff that he's really good at. We've seen him play against type, as we've mentioned with other people in the past. He can do some really fun, funny, surprising things, but then maybe it's just easier to lean into these other roles and reap the rewards, those sweet, sweet green rewards. Yeah, because he did prove his range in things like Ballers, I think it was called. Yeah. And some other stuff. There's some stuff, I'm not going to say they're hard-hitting, but they're more hard-hitting than anything else he's ever made. And he actually shows a bit of range in some of that stuff. And now it's just, I'm just The Rock, but with a different name. And sometimes you can't remember the name of that character. <laughs> yeah, which is ironic because he moved away from being Dwayne The Rock Johnson to just being Dwayne Johnson. But as he does that, he transitions more back into just The Rock. <laughs> yeah, but he seems to do lots of petty things where he tries to take control of stuff, such as the Fast and Furious franchise, where he wanted to be the star, didn't he? Or he wanted to be treated in the same vein as Vin Diesel and the same breath as Vin Diesel. And I couldn't really care who controls that franchise because I don't like it. 
But there's some weird feuding going on there. The Black Adam thing, he was trying to create a sort of splinter DC connected universe. He was the one that pushed for the Henry Cavill cameo in Black Adam that ended up being true for a week before they said, no, we're not going to bring Henry Cavill back as Superman. It was weird. It wasn't even a week that he was back and then it was over. I think it was recording a news pod about it and then by the following week it wasn't true. Yeah, it's weird because he kind of cultivated a good guy persona for a long time. I just feel as if he had a lot of public goodwill and favour on his side. Yeah. And especially for someone with such a big personality, it seems like it would be really difficult to turn that. And somehow he's managing. I mean, he's massively insecure. I think that's what we can be clear on. Hmm. But that's what happened. He next to Cameo, two cameos actually. He's like, nah, I don't want to be anywhere near the character that my character wouldn't exist if they didn't exist. Crazy. We'll see what happens there. But one thing's for sure, we'll probably never see The Rock in another DC thing ever again. Don't know what he'll end up doing now, franchise-wise or anything, really. He'll probably appear in some other forgettable action films. No doubt. Where he's invincible. Yeah, as long as it meets all his criteria. Yeah. Again, no one ever hurts him. Yeah. Arnie would take a punch. Arnie would take a bullet. Stallone would get in rough shape. But no, The Rock just... Casually strolls through action movies. Yeah, well, he's probably got, I don't know, another decade or two of doing that before he has to reconsider <laughs> what he does. Before he has to let his body shrink a bit because he's killing himself by staying that size. Yeah. Should we talk about some Star Wars? Let's. Newly minted Oscar winners, The Daniels, who, of course, directed Everything Everywhere All at Once, that film that people won't shut up about. They are going to be doing something in the Star Wars universe, specifically the Disney Plus series Skeleton Crew. The series apparently began filming over the summer and wrapped in recent months, but it was shrouded in secrecy. The Daniels directed one episode of The Skeleton Crew. Skeleton Crew is the upcoming Disney Plus show that stars Jude Law and hails from Tom Holland, Spider-Man trilogy writer John Watts. It centres on a group of kids lost in the galaxy trying to find their way home. The series set in the New Republic era. When is the New Republic era? I'm sure someone told me that. Is it just before the Phantom Menace, I think, the New Republic era is? No, the New Republic era is the Mandalorian time period, isn't it? Yes! Well, you sound really confident. (laughs) You're normally the Star Wars guy. New Republic. Yeah, sure. The High Republic era is like 90 years before Phantom Menace, isn't it? Slightly younger Yoda and stuff. Slightly younger Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems to be set after Return of the Jedi... Which is that joke, isn't it? The Star Wars show. We've got this new idea for a Star Wars thing. It's set 10 years after Return of the Jedi. So we know how old Sindel from Caravan of Courage is going to be in this one. I guess so. (laughs) Maybe she'll be one of the lost kids trying to find her way home. Imagine. And now you'll be able to relate in a whole new way because we've seen her adventures. Yeah, great. (laughs) I probably won't end up watching this, to be honest. I'm quite selective with Star Wars these days. Most of it I tend to avoid. Well, I did like Andor. I thought Andor was great. I am not up to date. We'll see. I'll maybe test the waters. Yeah. But Oscar winners, the Daniels. Cool. I don't know if you've seen Everything Everywhere all at once. I have. And I don't know if I liked it as much as all the awards seem to merit oh i do know i didn't like it that much right i just feel like it wasn't for me and it's one of those things where i hate the term but film twitter wouldn't shut up about it something about that aggravates me even more as well if i watch something i think yeah whatever that was okay i guess and then i see people gushing about it for months afterwards it makes me think about it more than i really wanted to and Mm. i never really think positively about it after that point i know that's a 
weird passive-aggressive even response to something like that. I don't know how often you spend looking at film Twitter tweets, but you tend to get that scenario where people just won't shut up about stuff. And it's, okay, yeah, you don't have to make this your whole personality. (laughs) Not much is the answer to that question. I didn't like it as much as some of the others. I was trying to watch as many nominees as I could before the Oscars managed to see it before. So it wasn't like I was influenced by the fact that it had won so many awards. But I thought, I'll give it a watch in time for award season. But yeah, I didn't like it as much as some of the other nominees. I preferred Banshees, I preferred Tar, I preferred Top Gun, Maverick, obviously. (laughs) There's plenty of great outcomes from it having won so much and the recognition for the people that were involved. But yeah, I don't think it was as good as some of those others I listed. Yeah, fair. Anyway, more Star Wars stuff. This is a story about what's not happening. Kevin Feige's Star Wars movie, which we don't know what it was even going to be, isn't happening anymore. Also, Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron movie isn't happening anymore which is what I was vaguely interested in seeing. Mm. Poor Patty Jenkins. She just seems to be the master at not getting work. <laughs> Most of our projects just fall through. Like James Gunn said, there won't be a Wonder Woman 3 and you won't be directing it. Kathleen Kennedy's like, nah, we don't want your stupid Star Wars movie, so see you later. That's kind of a shame. I would have quite liked to see a fighter pilot Top Gun-esque Star Wars movie. You know I would. Until you actually see it and then think, oh. <laughs> well, it must be pretty tough to be linked to some really big ticket items properties think about all that money 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 and then not get to do them yeah i don't know what kevin feige's one was going to be either and it's really weird that they said yeah yeah see this guy that came up with a multi-billion dollar franchise has been running it for over 10 years let's not let him make a star wars movie we don't want to make money that way yeah that i don't agree with (laughs) my alter ego doesn't agree with yeah moving on outside of tentpole franchise stuff we have another franchise thing that's happening michael b jordan is going to be spearheading a creedverse at amazon across film and tv and apparently anime is going to be one of them do we need a creedverse we already have rocky and creed (laughs) i would argue no to be fair i haven't seen any of the three creed movies okay and i do feel like i need to catch up because the longer that they go on the more i think okay i've heard good things i'm not a massive fan of rocky and i obviously i'm into creed enough to have ever watched any of them but as i say they've been well reviewed i feel like i should give them a go because they probably will appeal to me and i was thinking maybe i will binge them and maybe this is a good question unlike john wick do you think it would be possible to watch these three back to back to back and not suffer yeah i feel like you could they're different enough they're a good example of a legacy sequel, actually, as well. The first film does a really good job of incorporating Rocky into the story while still making it Adonis's story. That's the name of the character. And the second film, I don't think it's quite as good as the first film, but it's an interesting legacy sequel in that it's a sequel to Rocky IV. Okay. Dolph Lundgren comes back and he actually has some lines this time. Yeah. And Adonis Creed is fighting Dolph Lundgren's son. Ivan Drago, that's the character's name, not Dolph Lundgren. He's fighting <laughs> Ivan Drago's son. But do you think it would suffer if you're not as familiar or if you're not as invested in the originals? I don't know, actually, because I don't have that perspective. But Mm. they seem to have done well enough with people that have never seen the Rocky movies. So I guess so. I guess it's fine. Rocky's just a character that's in it that knows his dad. And then there's references that you'll get if you've seen those films. Okay. Well, one day I will get around to watching them. Before the Creedverse becomes a reality. Well, y'all need to prepare for that. He said he's really excited about it, so cool. Good for you, Michael B. Jordan. Take a franchise that someone already made and then take it on. (laughs) I know that Sylvester Stallone isn't really happy with the handling of the Rocky rights. Mm. He had a big falling out with someone over that. I read that somewhere. So I think he distanced himself from the third film for that reason. 
Okay. We're getting a creed verse. Whether you like it or not, that's going to happen. This next one's quite interesting. This is a surprise. As in a surprise, they haven't done this already. We're getting a reimagined Zorro series in the works at Disney+. Plus. Brian Cogman, who worked on Game of Thrones, is attached as writer, showrunner, and executive producer. He writes the theme tune, sings the theme tune. <laughs> Maybe he is. It's also executive produced by Wilmer Valderrama. Was it that 70s show he was in? Yeah, I never really watched it much, but I know the name from it. So the Disney Plus series follows privileged Caballero Diego de la Vega, who returns to his hometown of El Pueblo de Los Angeles following a family tragedy. There he discovers a culture of corruption and injustice that will lead him to take on the mantle of the mass vigilante Zorro. It's described as a bold reimagining of Disney's classic series for a modern audience, an epic adventure rooted in California's rich and diverse history, bursting with humour, sinister intrigue, romantic entanglements and swashbuckling thrills. So it sounds like it's set in the past, as with the Banderas films, I guess. Yeah, period piece. There was a CW Zorro show in the works at one point that obviously is never going to happen, but they were going to do like a female Zorro and I think it was going to be set in modern day. That sounds awful. I had the show mapped out in my head already. What was going to happen is you'd have this young, attractive woman from the wrong side of the tracks that encounters a former Zorro who teaches her the ways of Zorro and she becomes a crime fighter in modern-day Canada or modern-day wherever the thing is set but filmed in Canada. Don't like. I would have probably given it a watch, to be honest. I'm opting out. (laughs) It's one of those public domain properties, isn't it, where anybody can make it. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're doing this. I'd love to see if they got Antonio Banderas involved in some way. In fact, I feel like he could play Zorro now. Yeah, I mean, I like those Banderas movies. I like all that kind of adventure stuff, swashbuckling. There hasn't been one since then, unless you include Puss in Boots, which is basically (laughs) Zorro. Yeah, I don't know how much of an appetite I have for it now, but even just thinking about those Banderas ones and and all that adventure, it brings back good memories, but I don't know how committed I would be to a series now. Not even the young, sexy CW Zorro. Well, how sexy are we talking? I don't know. But I had it mapped out in my head. I mean, the CW, everybody on there is, is always unspeakably attractive. I don't like the idea of modern. I like keeping it in the right context. A modern Zorro could be interesting. It's essentially Batman, isn't it? But sexy is timeless. <laughs> <laughs> my knowledge of Zorro includes basically the Banderas films. I haven't seen anything else to do with the character. I know there's old serials and things. Yeah, mine doesn't extend much beyond those either. But I like all that kind of Robin Hood, Zorro, pirates. Anything where people are swinging from chandeliers and stuff. (laughs) Part of me does want to see the CW modern day version, though. That would certainly be a curiosity for a little while. But in that, there is no excuse for that number of candles to be cut with rapiers and things like that. Uh, They'll find a way. There'll be a training montage where the former Zorro has lit a bunch of candles and she has to chop all of them. Yeah, but then it may as well just be in period times. <laughs> in Zorro times. But she'll be juggling her university career, whatever, with being Zorro. So oh. she'll be falling asleep in lectures because she was out all night as Zorro. Yeah, you're right. I do want to see someone who needs to take pictures of themselves and sell them to a newspaper whilst juggling their school <laughs> or college work so that they can be a masked vigilante. No, no, they'll never explain how she gets money. That will never come into it. <laughs> And then her parents will wonder what's been going on, or maybe she'll only have one parent, and there'll be a big thing about her dad's been missing, and he was a Zorro, because of course he was. <laughs> there'll be all that. The CW should just hire me, because I know how they do things. Yeah, but now that AIs write scripts, <laughs> they don't need you for these formulaic properties. You could ask ChatGPT to write you a CW Zorro show, and they would probably come up with what I've just told you. Yeah. We could try that. Let's not do that, though. Maybe some other time. <laughs> I would hate to feel redundant. Speaking of redundant, we have... Uh, 
live action slash hybrid adaptation of the Aristocats coming up for Disney. It's going to be directed by Questlove or Amir Questlove Thompson. He won the Oscar for Best Documentary last year. It's a strange choice then. He's also executive producing and overseeing music for the film, whose script is by Will Gluck and Keith Bunin. The film is based on the 1970 animated picture about a family of Parisian felines who learn they are set to inherit a fortune from their owner. When the owner's jealous butler kidnaps them and leaves them in the country, they must team up with a smooth-talking tomcat to try and make it back home before it's too late. It's the Aristocat. <laughs> yeah, directed by Questlove. It's not one I remember that well, actually. You don't remember it well? No. It wasn't in my heavy rotation of Disney movies as a kid either. It was one of these ones that I feel like I saw the trailer on multiple VHS tapes, but never really saw. I've seen it, but it wasn't like I had the tape, so it wasn't in, as I say, heavy rotation. Was it the trailer warning you about piracy, showing you what a piratey version of it might look like? Maybe, or it might have been one of the sing-along ones, you know, where you've got the kind of bouncing Mickey head. Uh, yeah, maybe that was 101 Dalmatians, or maybe it was both, but the, the piracy warnings, it's like, Mom, the picture's all fuzzy, and it's like, that's what would happen if you had a pirate version. <laughs> as you're watching it on a pirate version of the tape. Yeah, and remember, piracy is bad, because we want the money, money, money. Yeah, I mean, this is Disney. They can afford it, whatever. But the Aristocats, we both have cats as pets. So we do. There's a bit of an interest there, I guess. Yeah, occasionally I will sing Everybody Wants to Be a Cat to my cat. <laughs> and he just looks at you nonplussed. Yeah, no idea what's going on. Yeah, Spock does that whenever I do anything. <laughs> much. Just looks at me as if to say, what are you doing? Why am I involved in this? Which is, I imagine, what the CGI cats will end up saying. Question is, who are they going to get to voice the cats? Thomas O'Malley cat. He's the one with attitude, isn't he? Yes. Streetwise Thomas O'Malley. Idris Elba, he already voiced a cat in the musical Cats. Yeah, I was thinking we could just get everyone who was in Cats and who has all that cat experience. Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Whoever else was in that film. There's a pair of comedy ducks in the film as well. Isn't there swans or something? Oh, I'm now getting mixed up with Lady and the Tramp and thinking of the cats that are in that. Yeah, oh god, no. But yeah, okay, maybe I should just not watch the animated film and just watch this. Yes. Questlove, he's a founding member of the iconic Philadelphia hip-hop band The Roots. He's a six-time Grammy winner, and he made the jump into directing with his documentary Summer of Soul about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. So a natural choice to direct The Aristocats. Is it going to be a hip-hop soundtrack to the Aristocats then? Seems like it. don't know, because the original was kind of jazzy, wasn't it? And he might be into that genre, who knows? Or soul? Yeah. You can make it solely. Is that a word? It is now. It is now. Let's move on. We have Adam McKay's next, I'm going to say, tepid political piece. He lines up Robert Pattinson, Amy Adams, Robert Downey Jr., Forrest Whitaker, and Danielle Deadweiler for serial killer comedy Average Hate average built. Pattinson will play a serial killer who enlists a lobbyist, played by Amy Adams, to change laws that will allow him to get away with murder more easily. Downey's role is a retired cop who won't give up on the murders, then the killer tries to prevent him from dogging his trail now that he's hung up his gun. The serial killer turns himself into a cause celebrate, a Mr. Smith goes to Washington figure shielding his true motives. The script has been shopped without a budget, and with that killer cast, it should be set soon. McKay has been talking about making a dirty money movie since he promoted Don't Look Up, which shined a light on global warming. Did it? Without making audiences feel like they were being fed spinach. Did it? That's the thing with Adam McKay. His satire is quite surface level, although everybody was talking about Don't Look Up when it came out, weren't they? Yes, that was a big splash. But mostly talking about how it wasn't as good as it should have been, how it wasn't as 
hard hitting or how it wasn't as clever as it should have been. Yeah, maybe that's what appeals to the masses though. If you could kind of dumb things down, get the message out. It's the Christopher Nolan effect, I feel like. Make the audience feel clever by getting the simple thing as you're getting at. Right. Wow, this film's about global warming. Yes. Any thoughts on this as a concept? Not much more than we've already discussed. That's fair. Okay, Adam McKay. His stuff is fine. I like the big short, but I think that close by and how stylish it is. Mm. Here's a famous celebrity to explain this complicated financial thing to you. That's quite cool. Yeah, that was quite a good concept. Yeah. I thought Vice was fine. Yeah, I quite like that as well, actually. <laughs> You're maybe winning me round. <laughs> well, here's something that probably won't win you round. Paramount sets remake of Hitchcock's Vertigo with Robert Downey Jr. being eyed to star. Stephen Knight is going to write the script and Davis Entertainment to produce with Team Downey, which I presume is Robert Downey Jr.'s production company. Vertigo remake, remaking Hitchcock. Isn't that one of those holy grails that you can't touch? Shouldn't touch. It's already perfect. We know what Vince Vaughn's cycle was like. Shot for shot remakes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's come up with more original ideas, guys. I'm guessing that Vertigo is already the perfect version of itself. I'd go as far as to say that as well. <laughs> Probably don't need another one. Yeah. I'm not keen. I don't even remember Vertigo that well. I've seen a lot of Hitchcock movies, but I don't tend to revisit them. So I just accept that they're great and sort of move on. Yeah, I'm the same. And I feel like if I did want to watch a version of Vertigo, it would be Vertigo. So you don't want to see Robert Downey Jr. attempt to... Make it his own. Not really, no. Yeah, that's fair. But that's happening. Just bizarre. There seems to be an active rejection of originality, doesn't there? There does. What haven't we remade yet? Let's just remake the stuff that's perfect. Yeah, the stuff that you just think no one would ever. <laughs> Once you get to that, you know we've really lost. <laughs> yep. Speaking of derivative, Kamal Nanjiani, Patton Oswalt, comedian James Acaster and Emily Allen Lind have joined the cast of the live-action sequel to Sony Pictures' hit film, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Was that it? No idea. Gil Keenan is directing, and the previous picks cast, including Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon, will return as the setting shifts to the original film's New York City firehouse. I did not see Afterlife. I did not like Afterlife at all. I don't really have any interest in this. I keep saying this about Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters was a really good idea that worked exactly once. Yeah, and we've been kind of chasing that high ever since. It's just one of those things that, yeah, this was a reasonable high concept idea that some comedians from Saturday Night Live dicked about on and made something that was really good. But all these follow-ups and so on, they treat it as some kind of sacred text mm -hmm. that they have to be completely reverent to. In Afterlife, the Paul Rudd character is a fanboy of the Ghostbusters and talks about the events of New York and the 80s as being this monumental, transcendental thing. The whole point is it's supposed to be kind of mundane. The idea is it's exorcism is pest control. That's your concept. Yeah, and I think we've probably touched on this in quite a few of the things we've spoken about on this pod, about that kind of holding things up and deifying them in a certain way Yeah. when really we should be moving on or doing other things with our time. Yeah, or just make a Ghostbusters film that is just a Ghostbusters film that doesn't have to be super reverent to the original. Yeah. Parts of Afterlife are really sickening in the way that it literally dredges up the past in terms of the way they handled the Harold Ramis character. Mm -hmm. This is unnecessary. Funny side story is I got a random email that I assume is a scam, actually, but I don't know what the point of the scam is. It's from, or it seemed to be from, this PR person. And when you look up the name, you see that yeah, he does represent all these people. Offering an interview with the young woman, I forget the actor's name, that was in Afterlife, who's currently filming and looking to do interviews to promote her music and things like that. Uh -huh. And I was like, 
there's no way you'd be reaching out to me for this. Why would you be reaching out? The thing that made me feel icky about it, there's that word again, about it was the fact that it was sent to me. Uh-huh. It's either a mistake or whatever else. But I replied and said, yeah, I'd like to interview her and never got a response. So that's what happened. But yeah, it's one of those things you don't know what the point of the scam would be. If it is indeed a scam. Just harvest your data in some way. <laughs> I don't know. From that email address that's only used for that, sure. I mean, you're not going to get much. Yeah, but Ghostbusters. You don't even care enough to watch Afterlife. No, and it probably follows that I wouldn't care enough to watch the sequel. It's fair enough. You're not missing much. Just watch the first one. It's a shame, though. I think that the people who are involved in it, you know, we're all fans of the original. We're kind of saying we would want to make another Ghostbusters movie or make it kind of like the original. We've got these parameters where it's got to be not so reverent, but where do you draw the line between this is enough like it to give you the feeling of it being Ghostbusters, but not kind of holding it up as this sacred text. I feel as if I were an actor in that position and I had all the same favourite movies and things that I would find it very difficult to turn down being in a Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> Even if it were just something that ended up being like Afterlife or maybe like this sequel's going to be. It's tough because I'm sure they're all fans and they all want to enjoy being in a Ghostbusters movie. Even if you are Paul Rudd and can do whatever you want. Yeah, it must be tough. But then you get paid for it, so money, 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 money. Yeah, they all got paid. It's fine. It's not a problem. Just like what people were saying about the box office failure of Shazam. The people that worked on it, like, yeah, that's fine. We got paid up front. So okay. <laughs> and then Rachel Zegler was honest about the fact that she only did the film because she needed a job. And people piled on her for that. And I was just thinking, well, it's fine. What's wrong with that? Yeah. What do you want her to say? I feel like this was my destiny to be in this film. <laughs> kind of forgettable role that gets lost in the mix of the other stuff that's going on. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I really want to do in my life. And I say that as someone who liked it, but I recognise that it was a, a thing that wasn't as good as it could have been. But anyway, next up, Guillermo del Toro's got some more work on the go after Pinocchio, which I haven't seen, but apparently is great. He will adapt The Buried Giant based on the fantasy novel by Nobel Prize winning British writer Kazuo Ishiguro. Probably butchered that pronunciation. But the novel follows an elderly Breton couple, Axel and Beatrice, living in a fictional post-Arthurian England in which no one is able to retain long-term memories. Sounds interesting. I haven't seen his Pinocchio either. So that wasn't one of the Academy Award nominees that you got around to? It was not. And I don't know The Buried Giant. Me neither. But if Del Toro's doing it, I'm certainly interested. Perhaps interested even enough to watch it. I wish Pinocchio had released in cinemas. Then I would have went to see it. Mm. There's a problem with it on Netflix. I can watch it whenever, so I'll just watch it never. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the same thing that happened to me. Yeah. It's there. I'll get to it sometime. Concept sounds cool. How do you do things when you can't retain long-term memories? What can they remember? I'm assuming basic function, but did it stop at some point? I don't know. (laughs) It would be a really strange setting where people are just having to learn how to do basic things again. (laughs) This could be anywhere. Why does it have to be here? I've seen other versions of that concept in other things. There was an episode of Star Trek Enterprise, for example, where Captain Archer couldn't make long-term memories. It was a reset button episode where the solution essentially sent him back in time to the point where the accident happened and then the series plays out from there. But it was an interesting idea in theory, the idea that someone has to tell him about his life since the accident every day because when he goes to sleep at night, he forgets everything. There's also that Adam Sandler film, 50 First Dates. That's about someone that can't retain memories after a day, isn't it? Mm. It's not very good, though. Memento. Memento's a weird one, though, isn't it? Because it's not quite that. No, but when you were describing the 
Star Trek episode, it was making me think of if you have to be told your story, you're basically reading your story the way that Guy Pierce does. Well, we'll see. I'm sure he'll make it interesting. We're still on Del Toro for the next one, actually, and we've got a couple of Andrew Garfield updates, if anyone's interested in those. Oscar Isaac, Andrew Garfield, and Mia Goth are top choices to star in Del Toro's Frankenstein at Netflix. Insiders close to the pick caution that Del Toro is still working on the script and no formal offers have been given to any actors. But sources add that he has met with all three and each is on board to star. Netflix declined to comment. <laughs> He's been developing the Frankenstein project for some time and long has wanted to make a movie centred on the iconic Mary Shelley story. It's unknown whether his version would be a period pick or set in modern times. Also unknown is who would be playing Dr. Frankenstein or his creation. It's believed Goth would be playing the Doctor's love interest. I'd like to see Andrew Garfield as the monster. Yeah, there's quite a lot of unknown in that. <laughs> yeah, this is getting made. Andrew Garfield seems to have rested up. He decided that he was going to take a little break and just be a wealthy actor for a while who doesn't act. Great. I wish I could just decide to take a year off. That'd be nice. That would be good. He's back with a vengeance. I saw an interesting theatre version of Frankenstein. It was on TV, so it was a streamed recording of the one with Benedict Cumberbatch in it. Was it one of those NT Live things that they did during lockdown? Yeah, and I think that there were two versions of it filmed because in the version that we watched... Cumberbatch played the monster and Johnny Lee Miller played the doctor and they also did a version of it with that switched round. We never got around to watching the other version but it was really good so I'd recommend that if anyone is interested if it's still available anywhere. I'm sure you can find it. Things have a tendency to fall off the internet don't they? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well in more Andrew Garfield news he and Florence Pugh are going to star in We Live in Time and We Live in Time is plot details are being kept under wraps but it's being described as a funny, deeply moving and immersive love story. There's two actors that I like in a film together. So, interested. Yeah, we've got more plot details under wraps there. Yeah, yeah. I really like Florence Pugh as well. But the concept or what you are able to describe about it does not particularly appeal to me. <laughs> Maybe it'll end up being a rom-com that turns into an action movie. Yeah, I might just have to start watching all of these movies in the anticipation of a twist like that. Maybe it'll turn into that Spider-Man Black Widow team-up we didn't know we needed. <laughs> it's unlikely, but could. The weird thing with Florence Pugh is, I think one of the early things that I recognised seeing her in was Black Widow. Even though I'd seen her in things before that, but it's one of those things where you look back and, oh yeah, I've seen that. So I got used to her with her Russian accent. <laughs> so whenever I see her in stuff that she just talks normally, it sounds weird to me. The default for you is Russian. Yeah, it's a bit like when you watch James Marsters in anything that isn't Buffy. <laughs> He's not English. Can't say that I've seen him in that many things that aren't Buffy. There's a few. He turns up, or just even interviewed. Well, it's kind of the same with Andrew Garfield, actually, whenever I see him speaking with an English accent, because my first exposure to him, well, turns out it was Doctor Who, actually. But after that, my first exposure to him was, I think, The Social Network, Mm -hmm. and then Spider-Man. So I got more used to him with an American accent. He got established with an American accent in your brain. Yeah, and it's hard to get around that. And then he doesn't really play English characters very often, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this love story, need to know more, I guess, I think is what we're both saying. We are. We agreed. But good cast. Yeah. Next up, this is a really weird one. Bob Odenkirk to star in a remake of The Room, but it's for charity. <laughs> Performed against a green screen that displays locations used in the original movie, The Room Remake is the latest endeavour from Acting for a Cause, an all-volunteer organisation that produces and stages Zoom-style table reads of classic plays and movies for charity. I would give it a watch if it ever crossed my screen. I like Bob Odenkirk. It's one of those not to take it too seriously, because it's not a serious remake, is it? It's just 
a bit of a lark for charity, I guess. You just get to see Bob Odenkirk doing all the iconic bits from the room. Oh, hi, Mark, and so on. Exactly. Have you seen The Room? I have seen The Room. Have you seen The Disaster Artist? I have seen The Disaster Artist. They're good companions to each other, I think. They are, and I suppose The Disaster Artist is more of an endeavour than this charity reenactment, almost. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what best to compare it to. It's like you watch a parody Fringe show or something, isn't it? Mm. It's a bit like that, but with Bob Odenkirk. Maybe you should play all the roles. That'd be interesting. (laughs) A one-man show of the room, which I'm sure (laughs) has been done many, many times over. But yes, not with Bob Odenkirk, so I would watch that. Well, you'll get to, maybe. Maybe you have to make a small donation to a charity in order to get access to it. Giving away money. Mm. Don't know how I feel about that. But for a good cause. Good cause, take it or leave it. <laughs> or it could fall off the internet and then you're just stealing from a charity, which is <laughs> great, I guess. Yeah. Next up, do you care about Gladiator 2, a sequel to Gladiator, Ridley Scott's Gladiator? The part of me that loves Sword and Sandals says yes. The part of me that also really loved the original says yes. But then the part of me that dislikes dredging up old IP decades later says no. But the part of me that loves money says yes. Okay. I actually don't like the original Gladiator, so you can admonish me for that if you want. But I don't need to admonish you. I, I really liked it. I, it was the first DVD I ever owned, I think. <laughs> I probably revealed that on a previous pod. I think it's a lot of people's first DVD. It's one yeah. of those, if you got a PS2 or whatever around about that time, right. yeah, everybody got it. And it just reminds me of that era. We have talked about this as well, where special features are almost a thing of the past. You get them on some streaming services, but commentaries and special features and featurettes and all sorts of stuff. And all the promise of animated menus (laughs) and alternate angles and alternative endings and things like that. DVD was this wild west of anything was possible now with films. You could basically make a film whatever you wanted it to be. It turned out that I just liked the way that Gladiator was anyway. But because I had one DVD and it had all of these options on it, I would watch all of it back to front and front to back and with the commentary and yeah, everything. And I think that's why I loved it because I was the right age for that kind of movie and it had all of that stuff on it. I fell in love with watching commentaries and now I can't even imagine watching a movie and then watching it straight away again with the commentary on. But I used to love doing that. I used to love hearing all the different takes and opinions and commentary you still get that with physical media which i know that you don't buy anymore yeah but the problem is i don't have time to actually bother about the special features i'll maybe watch the deleted scenes and the gag reel and then i'm done <laughs> i don't go watch anything else my first dvds were the mummy the mummy returns in a double pack and tomb raider and i watched everything on those discs yeah because i had nothing else to do because i was however old i was when I got those. But now it's just, I'll buy a piece of physical media and there's a good chance I won't even ever watch it, never mind any special <laughs> features. Oh, uh, yes. Why are you buying this? To just put it on a shelf. That's all I'm buying it to do. We didn't even realise how much time we had back then. I know. If only we used it productively. <laughs> but anyway, Barry Kugan, I have no idea how to pronounce his name. I'm just going with that. He is in talks to join Paul Mescal in... Ridley Scott's untitled Gladiator sequel. Paul Mescal, he's a guy on the rise, isn't he? He's everywhere. Ridley Scott is going to be directing this film. That worries me. Same, but God, will he not just stop? He's (laughs) really old. He's directing the sequel to his 2000 historical epic that starred Russell Crowe as Maximus, a former general forced into becoming a gladiator under the rule of the patricidal self-appointed Roman emperor. The sequel will star Paul Mescal, who is said to be playing Lucius, the son of Lucilla, 
Connie Nielsen, and the nephew of Phoenix's Commodus, Spencer Treat Clark, played in the original film. Keoghan will play a character named Emperor Gita. Gita was an actual Roman emperor, although the sequel story is not based on true events. Yeah, I mean, how much do you know from back then, anyway? <laughs> but there was also what I actually put in the show notes and seemed to have linked the wrong article that doesn't say it. Oh, no, it's just on another article. Denzel Washington will also be starring in the film. It's just another article. That's what it is. I like Barry Keoghan. I like Denzel Washington. I like Gladiator. I don't like Ridley Scott's recent revisiting of his older movies. So that's what I mean by... As we may talk about towards the end of this month at time of release. Yes. (laughs) So watch out for that. So yeah, that concerns me slightly. Maybe if I see a trailer, my interest could begin to be piqued. Yeah. Have you read the concepts for the sequel to Gladiator that never got made? It was Maximus and modern day and stuff somehow. No, I don't want Maximus and Zorro or <laughs> Zoretta or whoever to be running around in Toronto. It was something about the gods cursed him with immortality or something like that. And he ends up in like modern day and it never got made. That sounds mad, like some sort of Highlander gladiator crossover. Yeah, it's probably why it never got made because they realised, wow, that would be dumb. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. Have you seen the film Fall? I have, and actually quite recently. I should have said up top that I'd seen it recently, based on your recommendation. It's a really big hit on Netflix, apparently. Really huge hit on Netflix. But oh, it was based on my recommendation. Cool. It was based on your recommendation. Nice. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it does what it sets out to do. It does it well. It's clearly low budget but it shows what you can do and you can make a gripping piece of cinema that i'm sure would have been good to see on a big screen i watched that at home on my tv on netflix but yeah it was good i enjoyed it the first time i saw it i had a screener so i watched it at home the first time and then i saw it at the cinema when it came out again because i just wanted to see it on the big screen because it was one of those i got the screener and i'd been chased to do a review about it as well and i was thinking oh, i want to stay on this mailing list i should probably do this and I sat down and watched it and I had a great time. I thought it was really good. The height stuff was difficult for me mm. to deal with, mm-hmm. of course, because I'm afraid of heights. But that's part of what worked about it. I thought the two characters were good. Yeah. And of course, the brief appearance from the Jeffrey Dean Morgan third character. He's not in it very much, but there's a couple of scenes. There's that and what's his name at the start of the film as well. Oh, yeah. I recognise that guy from Scream 5 and 6. <laughs> What I liked about it, I mean, obviously, I agree with everything you've said. I really like the ladder that when one part of it falls, <laughs> the whole thing just <laughs> rips right off. And like, wow, that really was a shoddily made ladder. And we wouldn't have a movie without it, so. It'd been rusting for years, so fair enough. But that one light bulb that was at the top was still somehow working and maintained. Yeah, I saw a video, I think it was on YouTube, it was about a real one of those towers, and it showed the guy who goes and changes the light bulb every now and again. Apparently something like that would never be allowed to get into that state of disrepair, because it's just dangerous if it does, because it can just fall over. Well, yeah, we've seen why. But then you wouldn't have a film, so there you go. But I was pleasantly surprised by it. It's one of those two characters get stuck somewhere type films. You're never going to expect high art from them, but you just want them to be competently made, and this one was. Yeah, I do wonder where you can go with a sequel. Yeah, but that's what we're getting at. We're getting a sequel. Yeah, I suppose they have to come up with some other concept. It could be good if they do the same sort of stripped-back, low-budget approach. I'm sure they will. Good luck to them. Yeah, well, there's a few things you could do as a sequel. One is the Grace Caroline Curry character decides to claim something else, despite the last experience. (laughs) Trauma. I would never go higher than the stairs to my flat after that. 
She'd be living in a bungalow. Yeah, that's it. You'd want to be as close to the ground as humanly possible forever after that. <laughs> so, oh no, this has stairs. I'm not doing that. Even maybe they will do that. I have no idea. Then you have jokes about, oh God, not again. <laughs> or they can do the 47 meters down approach where the sequel is just called a sequel, but it isn't. Mm. It's the same thing, but with different people. You get a lot of those with those types of disaster follow-ups. Yeah, I imagine that that's maybe the direction they'll go. Similar sort of scenario, or roughly that sort of thing. Put people in jeopardy, watch them try and deal with it. Yeah. The indie thriller grossed close to $22 million after being made in a $5 million budget, so that's more than four times its operating budget. Not bad. Not bad indeed. Just goes to show that the... Well, that's not even mid-budget, that's low-budget. But the low-budget thriller approach still works. They said about the sequel, we've got a couple of ideas we're kicking around. We don't want to make something that feels like a copycat or less than the first one. They may or may not look to involve Curry, but no decisions have been made. The plan is to get moving on the project later this year. So we'll see. Fall 2. Fall harder? Fall 2 coming this fall? (laughs) Filming this fall? Coming next fall. Yeah. Anyway, Kate McKinnon's up to something. She's going to star in Searchlight and Andrew Stanton's In the Blink of an Eye. The film follows three storylines spanning thousands of years, intersect and reflect on hope, connection and the circle of life. Presumably not the same one in The Lion King. That's what it really says. Sounds Cloud Atlasy. <laughs> yeah. McKinnon is coming off one of the more historic runs on Saturday Night Live which recently ended at the end of the last season. Well, is that done now? Or no, her run did. Not her run, I assume, yeah. yeah. Okay. Never mind then. Andrew Stanton... Best known for his work on Wally, but he did a bunch of TV stuff. He directed some stuff, or worked on some stuff. I don't know if he directed Better Call Saul and Stranger Things. He also has a big year ahead and includes the highly anticipated Netflix pick Spaceman starring Adam Sandler. So in the blink of an eye, we have some loose plot details. Three storylines spanning thousands of years. I hope it's better than Cloud Atlas. <laughs> the book was good. The movie, not so much. I've never read the book, but yeah, the movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so any thoughts on this? Just... See what happens. See what happens. It sounds like the director has made some, or had been involved in some good stuff without really having his name get all that well-known. Kate McKinnon, don't really have much of an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> She's another one I've seen in a bunch of stuff, but she hasn't really made a strong impression on me. I've never seen the female Ghostbusters movie. Mm-hmm. And that's not because I hate women. It's just because I don't like Paul Feig films, really. So why would I watch that? And I didn't like the look of it, so I just didn't bother. Seen her in a couple of comedies, which is obviously typically what she does. Yeah. Everybody likes her, so that makes sense that she'll do something. People would want to cast her in things. It tracks. Yeah. Moving on, we have a couple of Lord of the Rings stories. Rings of Power, Season 2, adds Kieran Hines, Rory Kinnear and Tanya Moody. They will feature in recurring roles throughout the upcoming season, which is currently in production in the United Kingdom. Does not say who they're playing. But there's a bunch of other bits of casting. Oliver Alvin Wilson, Stuart Bowman... Gavi Singh, Shera, William Chubb, Kevin Eldon, Will Keane, Selena Lowe, Callum Lynch, and so on. If you've heard of any of these people, you'll be really happy because they're going to be in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Did you watch any of Rings of Power? We have stalled out about halfway through it. It's tough going a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I quite liked it, but I also found there was a lot of bloat in it. This article actually says there was 23 series regulars, which is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's just so much of it where you're like, I'm not really interested in this plot, but we have mm-hmm. to watch it for 20 minutes. And also, is this white-bearded guy the same as the other white-bearded <laughs> guy? I can't quite tell. I don't know. Yeah, I never really felt like I got what the point was. When Lord of the Rings, you kind of know Ring has to go in Volcano. In this one, I just always thought, when are we going to drive this forward a bit? Where is it going? 
Yeah, there was a great bit that happened on Twitter, though, in regards to that. Someone posted, they filmed the first episode on their TV on their phone and put the video on Twitter saying, look how crap the special effects are in here. And a director, it was Lexi Alexander, I think it was, or maybe it was someone else, but anyway, replied to the tweet with, you have motion blur switched on in your TV, you're not allowed an opinion. (laughs) Well, that's a fair point. Sorry, you have motion smoothing switched on in your TV, (laughs) you're not allowed an opinion. Motion blur is what you want. So that's happening. They three, they're good actors, so sure, why not? Moving on to what else they're doing. They're revamping the Lord of the Rings film franchise. They're going to be making new Lord of the Rings films. And that's all they've really said. I don't know what they're going to be doing, where it's going to be set. But I think they've managed to resolve the rights a bit because I don't know if you know, but the Lord of the Rings rights are a bit of a mess. As in, the TV show isn't allowed to cover anything from the actual Lord of the Rings. Okay. They're only allowed to cover the second age where it's set. Because the first age is the Silmarillion, which they're not allowed because the rights are somewhere else. And I think the third age is the Lord of the Rings, which again is owned by someone else. So there's that weird middle ground that they're allowed to play with and allude to stuff, but it's all this weird legal crap. So I think they've managed to resolve that a bit. So my guess is you'll get some kind of adaptation of the Silmarillion. But I don't know if I'm that interested in this, because when it comes to Lord of the Rings, I like Lord of the Rings and... Not a lot else. (laughs) I hear you like Lord of the Rings in your Lord of the Rings. Yeah, sounds heavy, which makes me think expensive, so I think we should put it back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They haven't said what it'll be, I don't know. Peter Jackson will not be allowed anywhere near it, you can be (laughs) sure of that, for some reason. There seems to be an aversion to letting Peter Jackson be involved in Lord of the Rings stuff. Just proved to be too good at it in the past. You'd think he'd be sick of it after being forced to make three Hobbit movies anyway. Yeah. I only wanted to make two and I didn't really want to make them. Ah, you're doing three. Great. Here's a book I could read in less time than watching these three films. (laughs) But anyway, Lord of the Rings movies, we'll see what they decide to do. This next thing, Aaron Taylor-Johnson is joining Robert Eggers' Nosferatu. Nosferatu recently turned 100 years old, apparently. As in last year, because it was made in 1922. It was made in 1922. Production has begun in Prague on the film. Bill Skarsgård is going to be playing the titular vampire character. There's another guy that's just everywhere, Bill Mm. Skarsgård. In Mm. fact, I'm not even sure which Skarsgård is which. (laughs) I know which one Stellan Skarsgård is. He's the old one, but I don't know who the rest are. Bill is Pennywise. Okay. so I think he's the one that's in John Wick 4. Okay. I don't know. Every couple of days you read something, it's some scars guard's been cast in something. <laughs> so how many is there? As many as there are Hemsworths. Or, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, just a legion of these people. But Bill Skarsgård, Nicholas Holt is also in it, as is Lily Rose Depp, Emma Corrin and Willem Dafoe. Nicholas Holt's already in a vampire film as well. <laughs> Robert Eggers' Nosferatu will retell the gothic tale of obsession between a haunted young woman in 19th century Germany and the ancient Transylvanian vampire whose stocks are bringing untold horror with him. I have not seen Nosferatu. It says here it was an unauthorised adaptation of Stoker's Dracula. Mm. Bram Stoker's family won a court case with all copies of the movies ordered to be destroyed, but some <laughs> prints survived and helped make the film a cult classic. I think it's a silent movie, which it would be in the 20s. I have seen it. I think you can watch it on YouTube if you really want to. Much to the chagrin of the Stoker estate. Yeah. I don't think it's that long. I might be wrong. Yeah, films weren't that long back in those days. Yeah, the new one will probably use some imagery from the original just to sort of pay tribute to it, but I don't imagine there'll be a whole lot of other crossover. Yeah, I've not seen The Northman, the Robert Eggers film. I haven't seen anything else he's done, I don't think. I have seen The Northman and I did like it. Okay, I heard mixed things about it, but there we go. So Nosferatu remake, this will probably be okay because unlike Vertigo, there's probably a lot you can do with it to 
update it and conform it to modern standards. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think Vertigo, you don't have many places you can take that, whereas Nosferatu, having seen it, and it was groundbreaking, I suppose, or it's a cult classic for a reason, but it's obviously 100 years old, so there's quite a few changes in cinema and in filmmaking that you could apply. Yeah, whereas Hitchcock's Vertigo, probably not, because he was pioneering the filmmaking techniques that we're still using today. Yeah. Stay tuned for J.J. Abrams' Citizen Kane. (laughs) He just covers up the name Rosebud with a lens flare so you don't even see it at the end. Obscures the point of the film. (laughs) Could you imagine? I could actually imagine his reveal the mystery box around the Rosebud thing. Don't say you don't get full learned cinematic commentary on this podcast. (laughs) Just criticising J.J. Abrams for something he hasn't even done. <laughs> yeah, I'm listening. What did I ever do? I was going to put a poster in my next movie, but no, no. But no, no. J.J. Abrams <laughs> would never engage with me on any level. <laughs> Not after everything you've ever said about him. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but I just don't like his work that much. I think that's a fair thing to say. Anyway, Nepo Babies teased this earlier. Daisy Edgar Jones who broke through with British miniseries Normal People, which I haven't seen, is in negotiations to star in Twisters, Universal Pictures and Amblin Entertainment's reboot of the 1996 tornado adventure movie Twister. Twister, of course, starred Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton, the late Bill Paxton, as romantically estranged storm chasers facing rival storm chasers, a host of tornadoes and their feelings for each other. The new story is not a sequel, nor is it expected to bring back old characters the studio is describing it as a new chapter. So it's what I was talking about that Fall 2 could be just the same thing, but with different people. But this is like a kind of alien aliens, twister twisters, but not a sequel. Yeah, so it's kind of nothing like that, really. Uh, uh, well, the naming convention alone. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, though, because Twister has twisters in it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Nepo babies, you got to love them. I got you a franchise for Christmas. <laughs> That's what Will Smith's been trying to do with this stupid son. God, I love a stocking filler franchise. <laughs> right next to the Satsuma. Right in the toe. That's it. Yeah, right in the toe. Oh, good. A sci-fi franchise. <laughs> Am I going to like this? Nah, but there'll be 15 of them, so you'll be fine. <laughs> well, there'll be one of them, and then the other 14 will get cancelled because it makes no money. Edgar Jones will star in the project as a former storm chaser who, after surviving a disastrous tornado encounter, now works a desk job. However, she will soon be forced to, you guessed it, Go out into the breach once more. Sounds like every film ever made about stuff like this. I used to do this, but I don't anymore. Have you seen the size of this tornado? Fine. One last ride. Yeah, I'm going to give this one a miss, but call me when Dante's Peaks comes out. <laughs> Volcanoes. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones is back and he's like, yeah, this is still a volcano. I don't know anything about them. Was he even an expert on volcanoes in that film? I don't think he was. Just an innocent bystander. <laughs> he's just there, yeah. Well, there was going to be a sequel to that San Andreas film starring The Rock at some point, but that got shelved. They're not doing that anymore. Canned it. Canned his own movie. The Rock is caught up in another earthquake. Who cares? But anyway, did you know there's a Hellboy reboot in the works? Another one? Another one. Yeah, let's forget about the last one, though. Even though David Harbour was probably a good choice for the lead role, the film was awful. So <laughs> we'll forget about that. It didn't happen. The two Del Toro ones happened, and now it's been long enough that we can reboot it. And they've cast... Hellboy. Jack Kessie will portray Hellboy in The Crooked Man, a new movie based on the demonic comic book character. It's the latest reboot of the role, which has been previously immortalised on screen by Ron Perlman and David Harbour, but we don't talk about the David Harbour version, even though he was quite good. 
The Crooked Man will be directed by Brian Taylor from a script by Hellboy comic creator Mike McNola and Chris Golden. It will be the first film in the Millennium Media Partner development slate with German film and TV distributor Telepool. Based on the 2008 comic of the same name, the movie focuses on the character's earlier days and takes place as Hellboy and a rookie BPRD, which stands for Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defence, agent are stranded in 1950s rural Appalachia. There they discover a small community haunted by witches led by a local devil with a troubling connection to Hellboy's past, the Crooked Man. Jack Casey is a dynamic actor who has the ability to morph into his roles. So he's actually going to morph into Hellboy, is that what's going to happen? No makeup, that's fine. His talent and stature are perfect for the younger Hellboy. I was very impressed with him while working together on The Outpost, said Millennium Media co-president. Jonathan Junger. He worked on The Outpost, a war drama starring Orlando Bloom and Scott Eastwood. He also previously appeared alongside Michael B. Jordan in Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. That's really bad, that film. As well as director Alan Richson's action thriller Dark Web, Cicada 3301. I've not even seen that. His other credits include Deadpool 2, Baywatch and Death Wish. And he will be in Paramount's Shiro's and David Fincher's next project, The Killer. So... Quite a wealth of work. He's, he seems to be keeping himself busy. None of which I have seen. You've seen Deadpool 2, surely. Did you mention Deadpool 2? I did. I've seen Deadpool 2. No idea who he was in it, but he was in it. <laughs> Baywatch. Also don't remember who he was in that, but I've also seen it. Mm. It's not that good. It's another rock franchise nonsense. I haven't read this particular comic. I've read some Hellboy stuff, but not this one. The early days Hellboy thing, in theory, seems quite interesting. You would love it if it was on the CW. <laughs> All of the films seem to be about him connecting with his past in some way. Or certainly the Ola first film. <laughs> the first Del Toro film had that. The David Harbour film, I think, had that. And now this has that. When it was first announced, they were talking about how they were going to make it a bit more in line with the comics because Del Toro made some changes hmm. that were approved by the original creators, but it was to make it more cinematic, I guess. Whereas I think now we're going the other way around. Let's make it more like what people want or expect from this type of thing. Less cinematic. Less cinematic, yeah, maybe. So, yeah, interesting idea. The first Hellboy film, they had the token human character that didn't need to be there, so I don't know if that'll be the case here. Unless the other BPRD agent is another monster of some sort. Yeah, I don't have much. I haven't seen the David Harbour one. I like Ron Perlman. I liked his stint, but no massive connection to the character or the world. And I may have only seen one thing that this guy's been in before. Sure. Yeah. Jack Casey was a villain in Deadpool 2. I'm guessing he's one that dies pretty quickly. <laughs> I don't remember. Looking at him, I don't recognise him either. He just looks like a guy, but I'm sure he'll look great when the red makeup and fake rubber hand is on. When he morphs into that role. When he morphs in, yeah. There we go. That's happening. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, keen for more Hellboy, I guess. Still want Del Toro's Hellboy 3, but we're not getting it. I've made my peace with that. <laughs> Until 20 years from now when it's somehow made but not by Del Toro. Because you do that every now and again where you ignore the reboot and you make a sequel to the thing that is defunct, supposedly. Mm-hmm. See Halloween, for example. Let's move on. Bit of chat about Alien. So you might be interested in this, or probably not, based on the calibre of Alien films that we've had overall. But Isabella Merced has been cast in the new one they're making. She joins Kaylee Spenny. Fede Alvarez is directing 20th century had no comment. Not much is known about the pick other than the iconic ferocious race of alien beings called Xenomorphs will be front and centre, again raining horror against the 
humans that cross their paths. Merced recently starred as Juliet in Rosaline, 20th century revisionist Romeo and Juliet tale. She can be seen next as the lead in Turtles All the Way Down, the upcoming film adaptation of John Green's New York Times best-selling novel. She was also in the remake of Father of the Bride, and she starred in the Netflix original thriller Sweet Girl opposite Jason Momoa. Was also the voice of Lucky Prescott and Dreamworks Animation's Untamed. I'm sure I've seen her in stuff, and I haven't seen her in any of those things, so I wonder what it is. What do you think of the fact that they've cast her in Alien? Have you seen her in any of those things? I might have done. Maybe the Momoa thing. And her name sounds familiar. I feel like the end of our Alien Day pod this year could have done with this news. I think we talked about how the film was in the works. Right. Okay. Yeah, because we were kind of speculating on where the franchise goes from Covenant. I need to know more. Okay, so I know where I've seen her. She was in Transformers The Last Night as Isabella. And she was also Dora in Dora the Explorer, or Dora and the Lost City of Gold, as it was called, where she was a teenage Dora. Oh. She was Isabel Monair at the time, as she was in Transformers The Last Night. I'm not sure which one Isabella is in The Last Night. I think she's the young one, the young girl that's in it. Well, she's clearly... Ideal to be in an alien movie. She's older now. <laughs> it's been a few years. Mostly. Transformers The Last Night was like 2017 or something. You know, that was a while ago. <laughs> that was when the last alien film was out. Those heady days. I'm sure she's fine. I think she was the young girl in Transformers, but I don't remember much about that film because it's 12 hours long. <laughs> but yeah, another alien film. We know what's happening, so that's cool. We'll learn more about it and report it back to you when we've got those details. We will do. Next up, Quentin Tarantino was preparing his 10th and supposedly final film. Will it be his final film? Who knows? The new film is apparently called The Movie Critic. Other sources cautioned that was a working title, not final, but the project has a female lead at the centre, the report said, and could be based on the life of noted film critic Pauline Kael. It's going to be like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood style, but with a film critic. (laughs) I quite like the idea that Tarantino is, in theory, ending his directing career by making a film about a film critic. There's something poetic about that. Yeah, I assumed that it would be one big F you to the world of film critics. Well, film critics are always really nice to him, really, by and large. Yeah, but why not go with a bang? It's interesting, because even if you say it's based on the life of someone, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to end with Hitler getting shot in a theatre <laughs> and then burned. Or the Manson family being killed by Brad Pitt. Yeah, with cans of dog food. Yeah. So who knows? Anything could happen. Yeah, sure. Why not? When this was announced, it was going around on Twitter among film critics where people were wondering who would play them in Tarantino's movie about themselves, (laughs) which is one of the most arrogant things I've seen people say. (laughs) I write for Screen Rant, so Quentin Tarantino's obviously going to make a film about me. But since you have dabbled in film criticism in the past with your reviews of things like Fast and Furious whichever Fast and Furious film you reviewed. Maybe the eighth one? I don't know. Who would play you in the Tarantino biopic about you? Well, it's funny you should ask, because I have been coaching Jake Gyllenhaal to be able to use my old catchphrase, edit, which I haven't employed all that much recently. But we're working. We've got a few Zoom calls set up to get him really working on the money, 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 money. To get that intonation just bang on. Yeah, exactly. And he's almost there. What about you? I have no idea who would play me in, in the movie. (laughs) do you have any suggestions be very careful uh let me think (laughs) well who could we get i can think of tom holland because of the tom holland jake gyllenhaal connection (laughs) 
I can't really see it. No, I'm definitely not as baby-faced as Tom Holland. I don't know, you're quite baby-faced. I look my age, I think, whereas he will never look his age. (laughs) I don't know, you must have thought about it. You asked me the question, so you must have brainstormed it. I did think about it, but I couldn't land on anybody. (laughs) Couldn't think of anybody. Can I just go with Paul Rudd? Go Paul Rudd. Yeah. I feel like I have a tendency to be somewhat sarcastic and he's made a career out of being sarcastic, so let's go with Paul Rudd. Listeners, if you know me enough and can suggest someone to play me in Quentin Tarantino's biopic that he's going to make about me, then let me know. Anyway, let's move on. Apple have declared that they're going to spend a billion dollars a year to put their films into cinemas. Basically, they make films for streaming services, one of which we talked about earlier, Ghosted, Chris Evans and Anna de Armas is an Apple TV Plus film, and would probably play reasonably well in a cinema. So they're going to commit to doing that, which you can imagine the model will be. They'll make their film, then they'll release it in cinemas for a bit, and then a couple of months later, they'll stick it on their streaming service, give it a proper theatrical run like any other studio does. And I think this is a great idea, and I think all streaming services should really do this. Netflix as well, because Glass Onion was out in cinemas for like a week and made a lot of money. So can you imagine if that had like a month or so in the cinema? It'd have probably done really well. It's a brave new world. Where film studios who make films put films in cinemas. That's a brave new world. (laughs) They take the product from the old guard, begin streaming it, and then eventually say, actually, we're coming for your (laughs) turf of the cinema. Yeah, I guess. But I think this can only really be a good thing. I'm not saying every film that Netflix makes should appear in the cinema, because a lot of them are just dreck, aren't they? But they do have big ticket items sometimes that people do want to see in cinemas. Things like Glass Onion. The one that I saw in the cinema was the Robert the Bruce one. What was it called? Outlaw King. Outlaw King. With Chris Pine, yeah. That I saw in the cinema because they were doing a bit of a tour with it and the director was at the film house, mm-hmm. did a Q&A and stuff. So again, it was, okay, I need to get a ticket, make an effort to go at this time on this day. So I'll watch it. And I wish they'd do that with more stuff because Glass Onion, it was a real moneymaker for them and they just screwed it because they only put it in cinemas for a limited time. Mm. But that's Netflix. Apple seem to be thinking, well, we're just going to do what everybody else does, except it's our content and it'll go on our streaming service eventually. Well, yeah, we like the money, money, money aspect of it. And also, artistically, some things need to be seen on the big screen. And if you're restricting it to just being on TVs, obviously some people have got giant TVs, but it's not quite the same experience as maybe with an audience and on that scale. Yeah, it's not the same experience as when you're just half watching it on your TV while scrolling through social media. Yes. As a lot of people do. That does detract slightly. Although a lot of people do just half-watch films in the cinema while scrolling social media on their phones, so what's the difference for some people? That's true. And if they're scrolling on their phones, we can kind of feed them adverts that way as well, so it's a whole other (laughs) revenue stream that we need to tap into. Weren't they doing that thing where they're doing like a test of the emergency alert system on your phone in the near future? Oh yeah, we're getting one. Yeah, where you get this notification that you have to acknowledge that you've seen in order to use your phone again. Yeah. You could do that in cinemas where they just ping a message to every phone and it's like, turn the stupid thing off or put it away. The film's about to start. Buy another popcorn now. Well, yeah, that would say that at the bottom. (laughs) Buy more popcorn. Also, put your phone away, please. Click here to buy more popcorn slash put your phone away. But yeah, I think this is a good thing, certainly, because there are things that I'd be interested in watching and then if they're going to be in the cinema... There's more of a chance of me watching them. And I feel like other streamers should follow suit, specifically Netflix. And Prime, they make big ticket films as well. Although a lot of the films they've ended up getting were ones that were supposed to be in the cinema that they sort of appropriated. So Mm. they're kind of the other way around. They're stealing from the cinema graveyard in effect. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, it's a good thing. They're putting some serious money into it and they'll probably see a return on that rather than your six ninety nine for Apple TV Plus or whatever it is. I imagine they will and I'll be there for a cut. Don't know how you're going to manage that, but yeah, sure. I'll work out a way. You'll just claim it was your idea <laughs> and then they'll give you money to shut up eventually. <laughs> Leave us alone and we'll give you a, a bit. Anyway, our last bit is... A bit of a bipolar approach from the Writers Guild of America. They've simultaneously said they would and wouldn't allow AI to write scripts for them or with them. The Writers Guild of America have proposed that allowing artificial intelligence to write scripts as long as it does not affect writers' credits or residuals. Well, I'm not sure how it couldn't affect their credits or residuals. How long until the AI evolves to the point where it wants top billing? I wrote most of this. How we teach the AI vanity. That's how it learns vanity or greed. Did an AI write that press release? I don't know. I just don't know anymore. <laughs> I've never actually played with chat GPT, but apparently it is just scarily good at doing whatever you ask it to do. I have asked it just now if AI should be allowed to write movie scripts. It said, in terms of whether AI should be allowed to write movie scripts, it's ultimately up to the film industry and its stakeholders to decide. Well, that's such a cop-out, isn't it? AI-generated scripts may offer some benefits such as speed and novelty, but there are also potential drawbacks such as the lack of creativity and human touch. You feel that with a lot of Hollywood films already anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who's to say that they're the already being churned out by AIs? The proposal would allow a writer to use ChatGPT to help write a script without having to share writing credit or divide residuals. <sighs> so it would affect... Oh, we're there. A studio executive could hand the writer an AI-generated script to rewrite or polish and the writer would still be considered the first writer in the project. No, this is a depressing way to end. So I'm a script writer, and then some bigwig at a studio says, we've written you a Star Trek film. Do I go over the script and then change it a bit and, and then take credit? I'll look at it and I'm just like, well, that's way better than anything I could have come up with. <laughs> just going to put my name on that. Thank you. The proposal would treat AI as a tool, like Final Draft or a pencil, Okay, rather than as a writer. It appears to be intended to allow writers to benefit from the technology without getting dragged into credit arbitrations with software manufacturers. <sighs> but the thing is, we always talk about a lot of these blockbusters are made by committee anyway, uh -huh. so you just don't know where the creative touch is. It gets lost in the mix. And this just seems to me like an evolution or a streamlining of that process that's already happening. Possibly, yeah. And I agree that when scripts and films are so formulaic now <laughs> that you feel as if you could just cut and paste from one to another and it's the same thing. We're not so different, you and I. You can watch super cuts of all of these overused phrases and bits from films. So yeah, we're just speeding up that process. And I feel as if I have to flip into the alter ego to say, well, this is going to save us money. And in the long run, make us more money, money, money. Well, yeah, obviously when analysing films, we pick up on formulas that get deployed all over the place. I talked about it earlier with Tetris, how it was employing a specific formula to tell the story. Yeah. The next logical step is that a piece of software can follow that formula and produce an entire script. Here's the elements I want you to include in these particular roles and go. And then it goes. It goes and we get more mid-range spy thrillers. Yeah. Basically, a lot of these films already feel like they're written by AI. It's like, I've seen this before a million times. <laughs> However, despite being open to the idea, they've also pushed back <laughs> on it. Again, the bipolar side of it. The Guild stated it's seeking in these talks to ban AI for being used as source material and AI written works and AI rewritten works from being covered under its contract. The union also wants to preclude AI created writing from being considered for credits. The Guild additionally seeks to prohibit writers from being assigned AI-generated material to adapt, and it is looking to prohibit AI software generating 
covered literary material. God's sake. It's an extension of the production line that already exists, really. Yeah. And it's the same as any job. If you do it for long enough, just say you live for like 200 years, you'd eventually be automated out of it. Unless it's not even like construction and things. They'll get robots doing that eventually. Nothing's safe. Oh, well. Embrace the singularity. Embrace the matrix. But can you imagine that? You go to see a blockbuster or any film, really, and you, you just know that this was written by an AI. They're advertising this as it's written by an AI. And then you watch it and you think, have you really noticed the difference between that and anything else? <laughs> yeah, we just keep on going back to by and large and give me a bucket of Coke. We'll get full realistic CGI. So we'll get to see AI-generated scripts writing content starring dead actors in sequels to films that were hits for them. <laughs> this is like a 70s sci-fi movie this podcast because we're really ending with the darkest timeline we're in the darkest timeline i've been convinced of that for a while but yeah that's proper creative dystopia isn't it yeah but like i say i don't think you would really notice the difference because we're already sitting in these committee driven we got the worst part that's the most depressing part of it all yeah how long would it take before entire studios realize we don't need to hire writers at all we're getting the same content we wanted out of this we're so close. We're almost there. Yeah, that's, wow. I really don't want to live in that world, but also don't want to live in that world where I don't notice and then I just stop caring because I don't notice. The stuff I'm watching is about the same as it used to be. <laughs> We're already there. Uh, we've lost. You've heard about these stories about like an AI generating a Fraser script and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's quite a funny one, actually. I don't know if you've read it. I haven't. It makes some weird left turns here and there, but the gist of it's fine. And there's other things. We fed an AI a bunch of information, got it to spit out this kind of story, and it did it. But yeah. A creative medium just being sapped of all creativity. Well, I started talking about reality TV, and now we're at unreality movies and creativity. Yeah. But on that sour note, I guess, we should end this news podcast. We did it. We made it through a bunch of stuff. So what do you think? Anything here you might want to watch? <laughs> To be honest, the trailers weren't all that inspiring. We talked a bit about Gladiator. We talked a bit about Alien. So a couple of sequels, maybe. I don't know. I feel like I'm just on a massive downer now after all the AI chat. (laughs) I kind of thought that would be more of a fascinating rather than downer discussion, but you get what you get. (laughs) That's why I left it until last to be a kind of, oh, this is a existential problem that we can talk about. (laughs) We did talk about it as an existential problem, but yeah, I think we just made ourselves miserable, which is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah on that note that was march 2023 tune in for april 2023 when we get more cynical about other stuff the podcast will be presented to you by a pair of sentient ais that would be great it saved me so much time see you're already buying into it i want you to create a monthly news podcast talking about these items put me and aaron in it and then away you go there's probably enough recorded content of our voices to be able to just mock that up now oh god can you imagine it's scary <laughs> over 200 episodes of source material to give you yeah. a flavour of who that person is and I just say the same five things over and over again anyway so it wouldn't be that hard <laughs> combine that with the data that exists on social media and things and you can just recreate that person as a podcaster yes I feel like Natalie would stand the best chance of tricking the AI because of the unpredictability I don't know if what it would be able to do with that I suppose it could come up with an unpredictability algorithm I don't know the only one of us that could beat the Turing test that's it <laughs> <laughs> Or whose AI couldn't be during test? I don't know. Anyway, that's besides the point. But yeah, thank you for showing up for March news. It's the start of the month of Angus on Neil Before Pod, isn't it? The long-awaited, you're all welcome, audience. For the month of Angus, or is it AI Angus? You'll never know. You'll never know.
You'll never know. I'm trying to say AI and Angus as a condensed word, but it doesn't work. It's hard to pronounce. But anyway, that was our chat about March 2023's news and trailers that were, at least for the moment, all created by people. For now. For how much longer. Stay tuned for future news pods and try and pick the point where we are all replaced by artificial intelligence. It will happen. I would like to thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music. And if you like what you heard, please do hit subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It will be in your feed. Hopefully you're already subscribed. It's already in your feed. But a lot of apps let you review in-app. Right now, in Apple Podcasts certainly have a review function as does Spotify. But Angus, what rating would you like? We love five stars. Maybe we do. And a comment as well would be great. If you want to talk about anything featured here, including artificial intelligence, if you are an artificial intelligence and want to talk to us while creating a user profile, then reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter under Feel Before Blog, or you can reach out to us on feelbeforeblog.co.uk in the comment section. But as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Feel Before Blog.